This is Unfilter, episode 233 for April 19th, 2017. He is a controversial radio host. He's got millions of followers. He's known for promoting wild conspiracy theories through his website, InfoWars. You've heard of Alex Jones. But have you heard that, according to his own counsel, he is playing a character? That's right. Outlasting Bill O'Reilly. Here we are again. Unfilter. Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly show about the news you shouldn't be watching. I'm Jason. Thankfully, not at the controls. But guess who's back at the controls? Mr. Chris Fisher. Welcome Ch- back, Chase, buddy. You did a, no, you did a great job at the controls. I think you did a fine job. I, uh, I Especially this part right here. I had to bring it down a bit, you know, oh, yeah, yeah, a little yeah, fading, yeah. and then I had to, you know, put the chat room up because I know the right. video is going to run out. But I got to let the video play out because it's got the music under bed, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you got to let that play out, and then in the meantime, I got to make sure Chris isn't peeking, and then make sure I have the clips ready to go. There, there's no, a lot going on d- during the intro. It's one of the most busy times of the People show. People have no idea. Yeah, they ha- yeah. But you really did a great job, and uh, I am in the process of um, putting a new version of Linux on there. Thank you. I appreciate. Yeah. It. <laughs> well, I like this version of Linux. What are you talking? What you, well, I How mean, dare you, sir? The, well, the problem is, you know, the the DRM of Windows Phone oh, yeah, at home. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you really should like get Windows <laughs> off of there. Hey, actually, no. What I was going to say is, next time, next time we do a little uh, switcheroo where you're at the controls again, there'll probably be a physical mixer here again. A that, big old. That's going to be weird to me because all I know is software mixer. I know. Yeah, I know. Well, and it's it's going to be weird for me. It's because I've gotten used to the software mixer too. But I feel like for people sitting in for me, it's easier if they have physical dials and didn't bother me a bit. You're a pro, Chase. Wow. You're a pro. So we have so many things to get into today. It is. Uh, what are it, you talking about? There's nothing to talk oh about. Boy. I mean, oh for, for, first off, Chris, I, uh, you know what's driving me crazy is that clip right there. <laughs> Zoom in on that clip. Yeah. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> what's driving me crazy is that photo right there. Zoom in on that. It's one of- we'll get to him later. We're <laughs> yeah. going to get to him later. Yeah, uh, let's, though, start with a little cyber. I like the cyber. ASL. Now, the original cyber segment started with NSA leaks. So we're going to take it back. To the OG Cyber with an NSA leak update brought to you by your good friends. My buddy. At Shadow Brokers. Who? You know, the, you know, the Shadow, <laughs> Shadow Brokers. Yeah, we've actually, we talked about him before, but it's been a little while. I so know. they'll bring us up to speed. Right. A new trove of files leaked by a notorious hacker group suggest the NSA infiltrated the, infiltrated the Middle East banking system to spy on money transfers. Documents published by a group known as the Shadow Brokers are being called the most damaging dump with the potential to create new scandals for America's spy agency. RT's Marina Portnaya brings us the details. It sounds like a name of the a line. The latest leak rocking the National Security Agency includes PowerPoints and Excel spreadsheets allegedly showing how the U.S. spy agency exploited elements of the global banking system to penetrate the financial structure of the Middle East. Now, have you ever heard of the SWIFT system before? That's what they're talking about here. The SWIFT, it's, a, it's, like, no. a trans, it's like a global banking transaction okay. system. All right. uh, this has gotten like no play. None? This has gotten no play. But this is what this shows is that the NSA developed tools. And these, by the way, once again, hey, everybody, heads up. Once again, one of the one of the attributes of these tools, this is a great thing. They can make it look like any other nation they want. Oh, oh it's a funny great. thing. It's a funny thing. 
Yeah, so anyways, these tools are designed specifically to go after Windows machines and then get into the financial networks. They took care – they supposedly were taking advantage of uh, zero-day vulnerabilities even up to Windows 10 that Microsoft wow. has been quietly patching for the last few months. Wow. A group calling itself the Shadow Brokers says documents it published Friday includes evidence outlining how the NSA hacked into a Dubai-based firm called EastNets, which is responsible for overseeing payments in the global Swift transaction system. Now, Swift is used by roughly 11,000 banks to securely transfer money from one country to another. So it's like uh, it's like what we used before there was a blockchain. Yeah. Files published by shadow brokers contain detailed lists of hacked or potentially targeted computers, including those belonging to firms in Qatar, Dubai, Abu Dhabi, Syria, Yemen, and the Palestinian territories. Now, if they, if you have if you have intelligence agencies that are financing terrorism networks and they have compromised financial transaction systems in the Middle East, that opens up a whole world of possibilities of how some of these groups may or may not have been funded. Oh, yeah. Among the unverified leaked documents, a NSA roadmap to hacking SWIFT's back-end infrastructure, which experts say could have been exploited by cyber, cyber criminals before allegedly being patched. Now, Veratunda in the chat room right now, uh, very helpfully, is actually putting the name of uh, some of those vulnerabilities in the chat room. So if you uh, ever want to participate, we have a new chat room, kind of new, for the Unfilter show. It's on irc.geekshed.net, and it's Powershine Unfilter. What's this IRC you speak of? Internet Chris? Relay Chat. It's kind of like Slack, only with less features. Oh, I thought you said ICQ. My bad. <laughs> yeah. It's like AIM, <laughs> but for group chats. Ah, got it. Yeah. Remember got the old it. AOL chat rooms? You ever get in some of those? Ding. Wow, that was that was for some times. Yes. So these docs are coming out. Nobody's really talking about it. Of course, RT is talking about them. Stop. If authenticated, the leaked documents would indicate that the NSA was seeking to track the financial movements of certain Middle Eastern bank clients to possibly gain insight into potential terrorist groups or government officials. Now, Friday's dump of uh, the alleged NSA documents also includes a list of purported NSA hacking tools the uh, the agency allegedly used to break into computers and servers running Microsoft Windows. In a statement... Now I want to stop there because the thing that I think one of the reasons why this hasn't gotten a lot of play, and I just want to touch on it really quick before we go on, is because it's not really a shock. Oh, well, they're, they're you know, we're, we're actively trying to fight terrorism, yeah. quote unquote, in the Middle yeah. East. So, of course, this is happening, I think, is sort of the conclusion. But still, to get no play at all, the fact that there's been just the, just the idea that additional documents and tools so have been released, is that's newsworthy. I, I actually have to disagree a little bit with you that it is getting a little bit of play i uh, honestly on the way here oh really oh okay uh, at the cbs top of the hour news they were discussing oh, really? these leaks oh okay good good well okay so okay maybe maybe i'm just a little too ahead of the news they, cycle. they, they did uh they did bash uh, they they took a nudge at, at wikileaks talking about you know how it was released back in march these this information so it's it's starting to kind of make its way through the tweets that are out. there. Oh, okay. Hold yeah. on. I see this. Yeah. Look. Okay. This was this this just went online thirty five minutes ago. So this happened this happened while I was already uh, on the air with the live stream. Okay. Oh, this, is, this is this is this is a breaking report. Now CBS News has learned tonight that a manhunt is underway for a traitor inside the Central Intelligence Agency. The CIA and the FBI are conducting a joint investigation into one of the worst security breaches in CIA history, which exposed thousands of top secret documents. 
Jeff Begay's is breaking this story tonight. Break it! Jeff Beignets is going to come in here. All right, here we go. This is great. I All right, Jeff. <clears throat> the security breach involves the theft of CIA documents and hacking tools used to penetrate smartphones, smart televisions, and computer systems. Did he call it a breach there? Did he just call it a breach? Yeah, play that back. Because I don't... The security breach involves the theft of CIA documents and hack... I'm going to quibble with that a little bit if I could, because yeah. uh, if it's a if it's a contractor or an employee who is leaking information, that's a leak, not a breach. Now, I, the, the, I think the wording really does matter. Well, they well, they do bring up the fact that it could be, you know, a contractor or an employee. So they do. They do kind of bring it back full circle. This is weird. You've heard this. Oh, this is crazy. I've heard Hacking this, yeah. tools used to penetrate smartphones, smart televisions, and computer systems. Sources familiar with the investigation say it is looking for an insider, either a CIA employee or a contractor okay. who has physical access yeah. to the material. The agency has not publicly said when the material was taken or how it was stolen. Much of the material was classified and stored in a highly secure section of the intelligence agency. Still, sources say hundreds of people would have had access to the material, and investigators are going through those names. The trove was published in March by the anti-secrecy organization WikiLeaks. WikiLeaks walks like a hostile intelligence service? Uh, Stop there, because we're going to get to that. Uh, Fascinating. Fascinating that that's coming out while we're doing the show. Uh, so that's a story we'll be watching more of because I think that's I think that's incredibly interesting. This whole the whole hunt and that story is going to be a contractor again. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Is that the same exact report they played on the radio? Uh, yeah. Well, they 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 chopped it up a little bit, hmm. but that that main piece. Yeah. Uh, let's talk Russia for a bit before yeah. we get into more things. Uh, let's talk. Uh, let's talk this whole Syria attack. So flashback for those of you that are maybe still catching up. There was a supposed gas attack supposedly launched by Assad. I say supposed because I. I honestly find it to be a little suspicious. We'll get to that, though. Hold on. Give me a moment. Um, And so there was a big, big resolution held at the UN. And this resolution was if the UN, if all the UN members agree, then they were going to condemn this attack. There's going to be a full-scale investigation. Essentially, it was the domino to fall. It would be the political transition for Assad. And so the – and you'd never guess. But the nation that was leading this vote – well, why, yes, it was the United States of America. Well, as Doug just mentioned, underscoring those tensions, Russia vetoing a resolution at the United Nations Security Council. Aw, oh, damn it. What? Yeah, well, Russia is a permanent member of the Security Council, and they their, their veto alone can block yeah. it. That condemns Syria's deadly chemical attack. China, which usually sides with Russia, actually abstained. A sign, perhaps, of closer ties between Beijing and Washington. Well, the U.S. ambassador to the U.N. putting Syria on notice. To Assad and the Syrian government, you have no friends in the world after your horrible actions. The United States is watching your actions very closely. The days of your arrogance and disregard of humanity are over. Your excuses will no longer be heard. I suggest you look at this vote very carefully and heed this warning. Uh, so they're talking tough. The Trump administration is talking tough with Syria. Um, and the thing is, is I actually I, – I believe – I believe – and we're going to talk more about Moab later. But I believe the bomb dropping on Afghanistan was 100 percent to distract from Syria because the Syria thing is 
a false flag. And I'm not, and I'm not saying it was somebody that intentionally gassed children. I'm saying that it wasn't the Assad government, but they are making it look like the Assad government. And I'm not the only one who thinks that. There's a lot of people who think that. There's and it's not just people like Ron Paul, uh, this MIT professor who he reviewed the actual evidence that the White House is using, and he says it's crap. A professor at the respected Massachusetts Institute of Technology is joining the growing list of those questioning the alleged evidence of the Syrian government's use of chemical weapons in Idlib last week. Professor Theodore Postel reviewed the White House intelligence report, which was declassified Tuesday, and says what the administration believes to be irrefutable evidence is, in his opinion, inconclusive. RT's Alexei Arshevsky spoke exclusively with the professor. Here's the rest of his interview. Professor, you also said in your assessment of this report that this draws the analogies back to 2013 when the accusations against the Assad government of using chemical weapons in Ghouta uh, attack, killing more than 100 people. Um, you were actually investigating 2013 incident as well and came to conclusion that uh, the U.S. intelligence may have been wrong there again. Uh, can, you, can you specify what kind of analogies that we're dealing with here? Uh, I think this is an indication that there is something extremely problematic in the, in the American national system with regard to the use of intelligence. This, is, this particular report is in some ways exactly parallel to the report that occurred in the Obama administration. We are seeing again and again and again a trend where the intelligence reports say whatever the political agenda is. And what seemed like something that was forced and and pushed upon during the Bush administration to frame Saddam with weapons of mass destruct, destruction, and it was there's there's so many books written about how Cheney heavy-handed with the work the intelligence agency and got them to write the reports that they needed. Now it appears that they've just institutionalize the process because since then, the, the, the intelligence agencies feigning uh, ha, uh, protecting sources and means report whatever the political agenda requires. And uh, once again, it's the same thing with the chemical weapons in Syria. There are so many interests in that area that that need us to be active in there, namely Saudi Arabia, namely Saudi Arabia, predominantly Saudi Arabia. And so there's so many agendas at play, and we as the American people are told so little, and there's so inaccurate information reporting. I just don't buy it. I just don't buy it on its face, but it doesn't really matter because the the official line from the United States is we do buy it. That's what matters, right? That's that's what matters, and the problem is that's what's going to damage us in the world. That's what's that's what's going to make things worse. Is our regardless of what the truth or not is, this is what we're going with, and at this point. It seems like the it seems like the relationship between the United States and Russia is at a absolute rock bottom low. Было ли это решение Дональда Трампа для вас неожиданностью? Да, это было, конечно, полное неожиданное нарушение международного права есть. He says there are violations of international law. This is an obvious fact. Это очевидный факт. This airstrike was a sovereign country made without being sanctioned by the Security Council of the UN. Remember when that used to be a really big deal yeah. when Bush was president? Yeah. And despite this obvious violation of international law, everyone's fine with it. Everyone accepts the airstrike and is nodding in support. Is it possible to say that the level of trust with the U.S. since Trump took office on a working level, especially on the military level, it has not improved, but it has rather deteriorated? So that's Putin. So that's so that's the reality of what's going on is we are bombing a sovereign country. 
the the relationship with Russia seems to be at at a, at a low that is so bad that there's provocation happening now. What are we learning about these Russian bomber jets that approached Alaska? Well, as you mentioned, Sandra, for the second consecutive night, Russia flew two long-range nuclear-capable bear bombers off the coast of Alaska. Now, we don't know if they're armed with nukes, but I, I want to play it back here for a second because this is... I had a clip. This is one of these stories where, you know, your unfilter show is always working every day, seven days a week. Both producer Matt and I are always clipping. And I had a clip where there these things have been building now for three days where first there was some weird radio signals. Then there, now there's a bomber that just flew off the coast of Alaska. Now, the next day, there's another bomber. It's building. There is something that is increasing here. And it's no accident now for two days in a row. For one day, you could go, oh, yeah, well, they were a little drunk. Now, but two days, that's yeah, not an accident. What are we learning about these Russian bomber jets that approached Alaska? Well, as you mentioned, Sandra, for the second consecutive night, Russia flew two long-range nuclear-capable bear bombers off the coast of Alaska, this time coming within 36 miles of mainland Alaska, flying north of the Aleutian Islands. Now, this is also why, I don't know if it's still there, but just recently they had one of their spy boats parked off the east coast. The two... Tupolev 95H bombers were spotted by U.S. military radar at 9 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. local time. Unlike a similar incident Monday night, this time the U.S. Air Force did not scramble any fighter jets. Instead, it launched a single E-3 Sentry early warning aircraft known as AWACS to make sure there were only the two Russian bombers flying near Alaska and not flying underneath the large bombers. U.S. territorial waters extend 12 nautical miles from shore. A day earlier, these Russian jets approached Alaska's Kodiak Island, Sandra. And Jennifer, where's the USS Carl Vinson aircraft carrier strike group at this moment? Well, that's I like that she laughs at the question. And I, she's laughing. And the thing is, it's not like that news actress just came up with the question off the top of her head. She's reading off a teleprompter. So right. it's kind of funny that she's laughing at her because it's, it's not really fair. It's not her fault she's asking the question. That's Carl Vinson aircraft carrier strike group at this moment. Well, that's like asking, where's Waldo? The Vinson finally left Australia and is heading north. We can confirm that. The commander of the USS Carl Vinson Strike Group says the aircraft carrier is now being extended 30 days to deal with the rising North Korean threat. The location of the Vinson has become a PR disaster for the Pentagon and White House. Earlier this month, the head of the U.S. Pacific Command said the aircraft carrier and its strike group would be heading north from Singapore to take station off the Korean Peninsula in the wake of growing tensions they're moving around um this seems like a bad trend and it's one that uh, couldn't be better for uh, trump couldn't be better for donald trump because this whole investigation into trump's connections to russia and if he's dependent on putin a lot of that uh, sort of fades away when uh, military relations are at the worst they've ever been and they're uh, strafing 12 miles off our border it almost feels like it's by design it, i mean it honestly does i mean it, it 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 feels conspiracy-ish. Where Chase, this is just the cheap stuff from Safeway. Yeah, I mean, come on, this man. Is, this is easy pickets. This this has got the yellow sticker on it. That you it's grab a little wag the, the dog, isn't it? Right. It is. It's like look over here. Don't look nothing to see here. Okay, but let me ask you this. Yeah, that's what it feels. I, like. I will take your bacon and uh, I'll add in a little bacon grease from some previous Savannah meats bacon, and I'll say this: I don't think Putin's in on it though. I think Trump is making the calculus that Russia is going to be level-headed. 
And so he knows that striking their buddy Assad, as, as striking his airbase with our impotent missiles, is going to piss people off. He knows that dropping Moab in Afghanistan is going to make people uncomfortable. I think he's very, very aware that it's going to change the discussion. It's going to change the tone of discussion because it's, it's so beautiful for Trump. The military comes to him and says, Mr. President, you know, in January, we put this huge bomb in Afghanistan. Uh, Mr. President, we, we have some surveillance here that shows that these, sh- these Russian fighter jets that were flown by Assad's men f- took off at this time from this airbase. They went over this area where there was some sort of chlorine attack. And they landed here. Of course, we told him it was sarin gas. But either way, Mr. Mr. President, I believe we could we could execute these strikes with some level of uh, of uh, uh, of completeness with very little uh, civilian casualties, very little flaws. It'd be an easy win, Mr. President. And Trump says, that's exactly what I need. I need some easy wins. I need people to stop but, talking about wait Russia. A minute, Chris, you, we've, we've already heard, though, that uh, Trump didn't order this. So, you know, he uh, he trusts his generals and, and, and you know, gives them the full power yeah. to execute this. And yeah. they, they 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 confirmed that yeah. this wasn't ordered <laughs> by the president. So I believe I, that. I no, yeah, I believe yeah, that, yeah, too. Yeah. I know. I, I believe I believe that's the whole thing is right. the mil- think about it. Think about it from like the generals or just think about it from the people in the Pentagon's perspective. It super serves their interest to deliver Trump. Some right. solid wins right now. Yeah. If and they know how Donald Trump works. If they can give him some solid wins, give him some great publicity, give him, a, you know, a position of authority here. But here's the problem with that whole thing: is he's perfect. been, su- but it, it may be perfect, but it might be a little late at this particular point, just because of, the, of all the crap that's happened previous to this point. People will think, oh, it's this is just too easy. It's too yeah. set up. Well, uh, and, and, and to that it. degree, you know, the, the Russian probe, like uh, your buddy, my good friend, uh, Mr. Woody, Adam Schiff, uh, Sheriff Woody, is uh, is uh, still continuing with the probe. I mean, that's all continuing. New reports say the FBI used a controversial dossier of alleged contacts between President Trump and Russian agents as evidence for a secret surveillance warrant. Hey, did you notice how this week it was confirmed that, G- that the GCHQ was surveilling Trump's associates yeah. and was providing us with intelligence yeah. just like it was claimed before? That's right. And did you also notice how it was just acknowledged that the FBI did have a FISA warrant to go after some Trump associates, which would explain collateral collateral collection or whatever they call it, incidental collection. Incidental, yeah. All of that that was supposedly conspiracy is now all just been it's all just now accepted as fine as fact and no big deal. Hmm. Well, that's just have you noticed that? Yeah, it's been a little bit of a shift. If you will. New reports say the FBI used a controversial dossier of alleged contacts between President Trump and Russian agents as evidence for a secret surveillance warrant. Now, do you remember what this dossier is? No. It was created by a former MI6 agent. Now, he when he left the MI6 uh, agency, supposedly, he went into private investigations for hire. Okay. And I don't remember which Republican it was may have been Bush, hired him to do opposition research on Trump. And and the, oh, okay. Now, here's, here's the key thing you have to know about this arrangement. He's not paid for accuracy. He's paid for length of report. <laughs> and so this guy meets up with former contacts in Russia and in the EU who all have these stories about Trump. And they all go in the dossier. They all go in the report. Doesn't have to be – doesn't matter if they're true or not. Well, when it comes clear that the Republicans aren't going to take Trump down, this guy's services are no longer needed. 
Right. We've played clips. He was the he. We've played clips of him on. He went into hiding for a while, and now he's back. We've we've covered all of this stuff in greater detail in past shows. Um. So now it turns out the Democrats hire him. Well, he's done all this existing research. Why let it go to waste? So the Democrats hire the guy, and in the process, somehow McCain gets a copy of the dossier. John McCain. So John McCain runs like a little tattling schoolboy to Kami with the dossier and says, look at all this stuff. It says he hired hookers to piss on a bed. This is insane. Look at this, James. Look at this. And so then Kami uses this as pretext to go to the FISA court after they're already rejected once. Now they come back with pre- – this is the pretext. So go to- then they get the tap on one of Trump's associates and then by inc- incidental collection, they managed to pick the whole damn crew up. Wow. And now that's all just what happened. And now that's just all just what happened. Sources confirmed to CBS News that the FBI obtained the dossier full of allegations that Russian intelligence has compromising information. She's just forgetting to, to – she, she, I'm sure it just skipped her mind to mention that the FBI obtained it from John McCain. But that's how it happened. About the president. The dossier also claimed the Russians had contact with former Trump campaign advisor Carter Page. The FBI later asked a judge for a so-called FISA warrant to monitor Page's communication. So-called. He denies any wrongdoing with us now as Congressman Adam Schiff. Oh, Adam Schiff. Schiff. Now, I really don't like Schiff. Uh, first of all, he, he, he looks like Sheriff Woody in a bad suit. <laughs> Uh, I he was but he's on, good friends with Devin Nunes. So. He he was on uh, he was on Tucker Cuckerson a long time ago, and he couldn't defend the Russia narrative, even though he's the head of the he's the he's the Democratic head of this investigation. Like his entire premise fell apart during the interview. He's always been a close ally of the Clinton campaign, um, and of course he's he he makes it look like and and of course it's it's it, now it's history. There's no there's no point defending it. But he Adam Schiff makes it sound like Devin Nunes is the one that's playing politics when it's really it's really Adam Mr. Schiff here he was the first to go on there immediately and say Devin Nunes needs to leave when Devin went to the White House I and mean, he has been playing politics from the very 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 beginning the problem is so much of this is beginning to look like shit because Trump and Russia aren't getting along right now so this investigation not getting all the energy and attention that it used to and it's starting to get a little shitty for Devin or uh, for Adam here because more and more of it's beginning to hinge on this dossier and this dossier is not going to hold up and Schiff knows it. Schiff's not a dummy. He knows this dossier isn't going to hold up. But now so much of this is riding on it because it was the pretext for the beginning of the entire investigation. This dossier is controversial. Um, do you believe this dossier? I mean, of course, he, he, he wouldn't it be great if he could say yes. Right. Since this was the key piece of justification, it'd be great if he could, this thing's accurate. We can go by this. It was done by a former MI6 professional. It's totally solid. But he knows it was opposition research drug up during a presidential campaign to do, to do smear attacks. He knows that. So he knows it's crap. He's hoping, he's praying that maybe a few parts of it are true. Well, one of the things that we have to investigate uh, through our committee is uh, were the issues and allegations made in the dossier accurate? Were some of them accurate? Were all of them accurate? Were none? Uh, we got to fact check these things because uh, they're not, they're not going to hold up. Of them accurate. Uh, that is certainly something we're looking into. It's not really something, uh, frankly, I could discuss uh, on this program. Uh, but this is a matter of deep uh, interest and concern for the committee. This is a common thing that Schiff does when he can't fully justify. And it's something that everybody does now because there's so many classified things. But he commonly, commonly will use that as a defense. Oh, I know. I just can't tell you because it's classified. And relevant. 
Oh, yes, uh, absolutely relevant. But, but again, we have to see whether it can be substantiated. So when can we expect another yeah, exactly. hearing from your committee? That was kind of an awkward moment. Did you see that? Yeah, I, In fact, she really was... she really takes a lead. There's some stuff about Susan Rice. Like she clearly has things she wants to cover. And it, the whole thing's kind of awkward. It's been weird since Charlie's been back. When can we expect another yeah, exactly. hearing from your committee? Well, you know, I'm happy to report that our committee is really back on track. We have a new Republican lead, Mike Conaway of Texas. Uh, I think so. There's a new there's a new sheriff there. Uh, so uh, Sheriff Woody is now going to be uh, joined by Sheriff Conaway uh, from Texas, and uh, he's a serious individual. Schiff says I think he's a very serious guy. We've had a number of good conversations since uh, he took the Republican reins. Uh, he seems like a little bit of a piss has been taken out of his step here. He, you know, he's <laughs> not, he doesn't quite have the fire in his belly that he used to have for this thing. I think he is quite determined. In the next week? Um, well, we are in the in process back? of uh, agreeing on the first tranche of witnesses, talking Will about Sally scheduling Yates hearings. Will Sally Yates be called to testify? I certainly hope so. Uh, we are uh, obviously pushing for that. Why wouldn't, it, if you're hoping so, why wouldn't it happen? Well, it's not my decision alone, uh, but uh, I do think, and, and I've uh, uh, certainly tried to make this case, that it's very important that our committee not only do what work we have to do in the closed session, but do as much in open session as we can, uh, bring the public along in the course of the investigation. Otherwise, if we go on for months and months and then we suddenly issue a report, I don't think it'll have the public's confidence if they haven't seen how we have proceeded with the investigation. So I'm hoping. Now, they almost never want to do these things out in the open because it, when you do it out in the open, it sort of becomes a political theater, number one. And number two, you can't cover the classified information. Adam's always a fantasy and he can't talk about something. So all of a sudden, you have an entire inquiry where nobody can talk about anything. Thing that where we can, we do as much of this as possible in public. Do you believe that when President Trump saw whatever he saw and said what he did about President Obama, he had seen something so bad. It was so bad that Charlie can't even repeat it. It was so bad. <laughs> was so what he terrible. said about President Obama. And then it turns out he was provided information by the GCHQ and Trump's communications were picked up. Oh, I, I mean, it, it's funny. Like even now, even now that that's sort of just standard news that people are just reporting. We still pretend like what Trump tweeted was so bad. We dare not speak its name. Trump saw whatever he saw and said what he did about President Obama. He had seen something from Susan Rice. I think, and you know, again, I'm speculating about the president's motives here. Which it's about to get awkward. I, it's about, and I don't know why Nora all of a sudden has to jump up. It's, it's almost like it's almost like there's certain friends of the show that you got to make sure you back up and protect. Which is a very tough thing to do with this president, or yes. probably any other. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that he was, uh, you know. Uh, looking to make an accusation against his predecessor to deflect attention from the issues involved in the Russian investigation and then forced to back it up uh, and may have dispatched his staff to try to find something. So that's when Susan Rice came in at that point when he was trying to back it up. Let's get let's let's clear that up. So she so she's kind of taken over here. Let's clear that up. This is the the third time now in this interview she's interrupted Charlie. I think it's important not to malign Susan Rice because there's no evidence. Apparently Charlie was maligning Susan Rice. I didn't even realize that. But yeah, so this is a big deal because Susan Rice's name is getting dropped a lot and and it people are freaking out that something might something might happen to Susan Rice. Not to malign Susan Rice because now the thing is, is the reason why everybody's protecting Susan Rice best I can figure is because everybody loves Obama and because Susan Rice is good, 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 good buddies with Barry. Good friends. You protect Barry's friends. So by protecting Barry's friends, you're taking care of Barry himself. And I, I don't know. I mean, this is really strange. Clear that up because I think it's important not to malign Susan Rice because there's no evidence 
on that that particular charge. In fact, Ryan Lizza of The New Yorker just reported recently on documents. We're not talking about backing it up. We're talking about what the president was acting on. Yeah. So so Ryan Lizza is reporting that he spoke with intelligence sources who said the names of Trump's Trump associates were masked in those documents that Devin Nunez viewed at the White House and that you subsequently viewed at the White House. Can you clarify that? Well, I can't go into the contents of any of the documents, uh, but I can say I think it was reckless of the president to make the accusation against his predecessor that he was. There you go. He's just that was standard Adam Schiff stuff. Well, I thought that whole conversation was a little weird, but a yeah, the, the investigation continues on with uh, Sheriff Woody as a new buddy now. Well, yeah. Well, now we have a new uh, notice. Nunes is completely gone out of the picture. <laughs> you know, it's been it's been it's so very weird. Nunes was 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 it was a hit job. I really think it was. I think Spicy Sean has been un, has been under constant attack too. Yeah. Uh, Steve Bannon. Uh, you know, I don't like. I don't necessarily like any of these guys either. It's uh, I. I can. I just want to make this clear. I can. I can talk about what I perceive to be character assassination against some of these people, and not at the same time say that they're good individuals. I want to make it clear that I'm talking about two different things. It really, to me, seems like that Spicy Sean, Steve Bannon, and Devin Nunes were under a sustained character assassination. And, and, and Spicy Sean is, the, is taking the brunt of it. But this week, things changed in a huge way on Fox News. <laughs> and... You guys know that I find Bill O'Reilly to be one of the hardest of blowhards. And uh, I've mocked him for, you know, F it, we'll do it live. Yeah. We mean, we, you and I do that oh, all yeah. the time, especially yeah. like when we're doing a live event. I'll write it. We'll do it live. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I'm not here to defend these individuals. And I'm sure that uh, some of the I, I would not I would not be surprised if every single one of the accu- accusers that came forward for Bill, Bill O'Reilly were telling the truth. But uh, Bill O'Reilly is out at Fox News. Uh, We have some breaking news to report to you. Fox News anchor Bill O'Reilly will not be returning to the O'Reilly factor. Uh, CNBC that the network is CNBC reports that Fox News has severed ties with Bill O'Reilly. Now, this is there's things Fox News has been going through changes. Greta is out. Yeah. Uh, there's been Megan a, Kelly's gone. Roger Roger Ailes, uh, which is probably really what's what which is the domino that really led to this, uh, because he was one of the guys that protected O'Reilly. But I want to back up for a second. I covered it briefly three weeks ago. No, no, no. It was four weeks ago. I covered it super briefly in the overtime four weeks ago. That I noticed that there was beginning to be a lot of uh, articles and attacks against Bill O'Reilly. Uh, the New York Times ran a piece against Bill O'Reilly. Hillary Clinton gave a speech in where uh, she took a comment, a really stupid comment, where Bill O'Reilly said that Maxine Waters looks like she has a James Brown wig. Um, And so Hillary Clinton took that the next day and said that, you know, that was a a racist, sexist attack, forced Bill O'Reilly to to apologize. And then another speaker took – then it just sort of blew up. Like I was noticing this snowball effect around Bill O'Reilly. And so when you telegram me the news today – yeah, I said I knew it was coming. Yeah. I knew it was coming. Bill O'Reilly for for a solid, a little over a month. Because at first I don't report it. So the, for, here's the way it worked: his first couple of weeks is like this is not news. Bill O'Reilly is just a scumbag, and you know it's <laughs> right. finally catching up with yeah. him. Yeah. But then it, I noticed this is a sustained attack. Like it's this is like an organized thing. I'm not defending Bill O'Reilly. He should probably be off the air. Uh, but I, I really watching him, and and then I started noticing like I started noticing. 
Oh yeah, there he's 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 uh, he's getting a little more defensive. I started watching some of his more recent shows, and one of them he seems very drunk to me. Like <laughs> it seemed like some crap was going on. Uh, joining me now to talk a little bit more about this is Elise Jordan, who is still with me, uh, left over from the panel we were talking about a little bit earlier. No, I want to leave it there actually, because I'm not. I don't. In fact, we don't even need to keep talking about Bill O'Reilly because I think what we're seeing is. You're seeing people who are supportive of Donald Trump in the media get destroyed by the media. And it's not by the media directly. It's not like there's some sort of malice. It's not like there's some sort of uh, like internal meetings where like, well, we have to we have to weed out Bill O'Reilly. It is it is influenced by revenue because Bill O'Reilly's had something like 20 sponsors pull out in this last. Well, I mean, to be fair, it, I, I, I think, yeah, well, yeah, the, the sponsors are pulling out because of the sexual yeah, but, but that puts significant pressure on the network, right. even and if he's like their number but, one ratings guy. But yeah, exactly. And it, and it doesn't come down to uh, the, you know, the the big bullseye against, you know, Republicans or, or Republican leaning or ideal. Uh, I, and, I, and this, I mean, sexual I'm not harassment saying, is sexual harassment, I'm not Yeah, it, Yeah, I know that. Yeah. But it's been going on for 30 years. It's like it's like this stuff. OK, it's this stuff is going on all the time with these guys at this level. It's bad. It's horrible. They're the they're awful people right. and they shouldn't have such a high pulpit. But it's it's the systematic leaking and people talking to the press on a sustained basis that is part of a oh, campaign. Yeah. It's like it's it's like Just when you choose stop. to start talking about it, there, there's some relevance to that. And I think it is. I think it's people. I do think and I don't know if it, I'm not saying it's malice on the part of the media. I do think it's people that are friendly to Trump. It feels like a bit of a cleaning of the herd a bit. Uh, I, I'll present you number one character assassination of the week, Alex Jones. Lawyer for an influential right-wing conspiracy theorist made a startling claim in court recently during a child custody case. Let's stop right there because that's disgusting. What's happening here is the mainstream media is using a child custody case that Alex Jones is involved in with his ex-wife as an opportunity to smear him. Now, they very, 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 very rarely talk about Alex Jones. Very rarely. Sometimes he goes on CNN but it's the exception, unless there is something very dramatic happening in the news that he's capitalizing on to make a big, big stink out of, and then sometimes they'll mention him. But for the most part, the mainstream media pretends like Alex Jones does not exist until all of a sudden he finds himself in the middle of a child custody dispute. This is disgusting. He said that the radio rants of Alex Jones are just an act. Anna Werner is following this. So they love this because because now he says, well, it's a performance character. I'm performing a character. This is what the lawyer's defense was. His wife is trying to take his kids away. His ex-wife is trying to take his kids away in court. And she's claiming that he's too unstable. So she needs to take the kids away. And his response, his only response, really, what else could he say is, well, no, I'm not actually crazy. I'm just performing for the radio. What else can he say? Well, the man doesn't want his kids taken away. So you're saying he's lying? That's the angle. I'm saying no. I'm saying it can be both. I'm saying you and I, to a degree, can be a performance artist some days. You know, I was going through a divorce, and it's not like I'm sitting here on the show complaining and crying about my divorce. The show goes on. It's not Chris Fisher, the human being, is not having a great day, but Chris Fisher on the microphone still has a job to do. Right. That's true. I, as somebody who's gone through a divorce and gone through a a child separation se- uh, arrangement like to me this is this is the grossest thing and look at Scott Scott Pelly knows that Scott Pelly knows that you can be having a bad day and sometimes you have to go on or Scott Pelly knows that you have to say he knows the job he is a news actor himself 
And it, you could say, you could say, okay, well, this is worth reporting on, sure. But watch the systematic character assassination that goes across the media. That was CBS News. Here's CNN. I want you to know that. Mm. <laughs> uh, okay, listen to this. He is known for peddling conspiracy theories and fake news. But he says the says the number one news outlet that Russia hacked the election. Is Alec Jones a fake himself? What the controversial radio host's own lawyer now claims about Alex Jones, and it will leave President Trump and millions others surprised. Put back that pondering shot of Alex Jones receives. <laughs> Como's uh, mocking Jones as they go to commercial. I'm not an Alex Jones fan. I think he does more harm than he does good, and I think that he capitalizes on fear. That being said, I also respect the fact that it's an independent media broadcast, and the fact is they get a lot of facts wrong in these news reports. He doesn't broadcast out of his home. Just like I sometimes do an occasional show out of my house, he sometimes does an occasional show out of his house. He has an amazing studio. It's State-of-the-art studio in Texas. <laughs> Trust me, he doesn't do all the shows from home, but all of these news reports talk about it. Now, uh, Como comes in, and uh, he just goes for it. He is a controversial radio host. He's got millions of followers. He's known for promoting wild conspiracy theories through his website. You know, theories. Infowars. You've heard of Alex Jones. But have you heard that according to his own counsel, he is playing a character? This happened during a custody hearing. He and his former wife talking about arguing about who should have the kids and under what conditions. Reportedly, his lawyer told the court that Jones is a, quote, performance artist. Now, what if Chris Como's wife here uh, gets a separation, wants to take the kids and say he was on CNN lying to the American people a couple of months ago saying that it was illegal to read WikiLeaks? That man is insane. He believes that it is illegal for the people to read WikiLeaks and that they must be the gatekeepers of information. I don't want my children raised around a fascist I, like that. I think the the main difference to that, though, just to play a little devil's advocate here, is Alex Jones writing his own copy or someone else writing it for him. Oh, he doesn't have any copy. So he's just making it. He's just oh, saying. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Como, he's. He's reading a prompter. He, sure. he is, he's, re- sure. he's reading something that... The analogy I'm trying to make there, yeah. though, is these guys that are doing this reporting, they it's like the media is eating their own. It's because he's a different kind of media. They do this. But they wouldn't do this about one of their own. Yeah. One of their own going through a child custody dispute. They wouldn't do that. Like because because Alex Jones is opposition media in their eyes, it's, it's, op- it's open season. Now it's time to just go after him. Just go after him. Here we go again. Well, now that is truly fascinating legal question. Where does a media persona... This is full-spectrum news attack. Now, this is Fox News. ...end and the real person begin? Where does your online persona end and the real person begin? That's the question facing a Texas jury as controversial but very popular radio star Alex Jones fights a custody battle for his three children. Now, because we got, we got to make sure we get the, uh, the story covered, we got to cover it at night and in the morning. Out of this story, a lawyer for conservative radio show host Alex Jones says his client is nothing more than a showman. He made that claim in a Texas court where Jones is fighting to keep custody of his children. His ex-wife says the views and conspiracy theories on his radio show prove he's unfit to be a father. That's pretty scary. That's a pretty scary thing when your political views or the podcast or radio show that you do can be cited against you as being unfit to raise your children. That's a pretty freaky precedence on free speech right there. I mean, I, I don't like Alex Jones, um, but 
this is pretty clearly character assassination, and this is a scary precedence to set that anybody that has a blog or a Twitter feed or a podcast or a radio show should consider. And then, of course, they go through, they all, all these reports, all of them, go through a list of conspiracy theories that Alex Jones believes in. They love to count like the Sandy Hook one. They love to say that Trump is an advisor. In fact, all these reports, every single one of the re- re- these reports eventually comes around about how Trump's been duped by a con man because the con man admits that he's a fake and and yet he seems to have the president's ear. So really, it's Trump that's been ultimately duped. Jones and his lawyer, his lawyer said they're unable to speak because of a gag order in the case. Meanwhile, Cliff Kincaid, a director of the right. So his wife can come out and do this, go into court and there and in the process, she's really smart, actually, if you think about it, because he's on the radio. She was also she was also given a gag order. So Alex Jones and I've watched I've watched the one the one clip he's done. He did like a 15 minute explanation of this entire thing. I have it linked in the show notes if you care. Uh, And I was impressed at the end of it. He didn't once trash his ex-wife. Because if you think about it, the temptation must be extreme. Your ex-wife does this to you in a sense, in his his view, right? This is his world. His ex-wife is doing this. It's an attack. It's an attack. And he has to sit there and say all this and he can't say anything about it. Uh, I, I guess the ultimate question, what it comes down to, I think, on this is the, like, for example, his kids, right? They're, they're saying that the reason why that he had to come, they had to come out in court and say that he's just a show person is because the things that he's saying are potentially harmful to the kids, the, to his kids, right? Uh, saying things that are not true, conspiracy theories, things like that. If his kids know, and I don't know even know the age of his kids, if the kids know that what he's saying is untrue and just for show, then there's no case here, obviously. But I think what they're trying to lean at is he's intentionally so, uh, putting okay. information I okay, so here's, out there. Here's my problem. You're telling me we live in a country where parents can pray the infection away from their kid and let them die in their house instead of take them to the hospital and not get in trouble. I'm not speaking to that, man. I'm speaking to this I, what, specific what business, thing. What business is, is it of ours? That's, if, that, if religious if, – if people's choices and how they raise their children are no business of ours and it's just people's personal business that we have no – we have no way of knowing anything. They, the kids probably are screwed up. They probably are screwed up kids, sure, but it's none of our business and we have no way of knowing – we have no way of having any insight into their situation. We have no idea. She may be some sort of coked out maniac for all we know. We know nothing about this situation. It shouldn't even be in the public discourse. It's really none of our business, but it's, but it's such – there's such an emotional aspect to it. Because you can you can go through and you can find uh, you can find clips of Alex Jones. I tell you what, you want to you want to hit an emotional button here. Uh, and Chase, this probably this will do it for you, even though you're not a, a bad here. influence Watch on their this. three kids. This is his son Rex on his father's show. What they're really trying to cover up is much bigger than a little landfill. Rex was 12 years old when he made the appearance. He he is undoubtedly cut out for this, and I intend for him to eclipse what I've done. So they're, they're playing at our emotional sensibilities with the kids here because there probably is a real situation here. And people love gossip and drama. They just love it. You know, it's reality television. And it, but, in, but it's also it's a family's real life. And now now they're now in, 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 in an attempt to in an attempt to. But who who made the choice to put his put the his kid on on video? He but did. It's not any of our business. But he put it in public. That was. I mean, he made it our business by putting that in public in the first place. I disagree. 
I mean, it's what? It's none of our. Wait, he put he, he wait he put his kid on air, and you're saying it's none of our business. I'm saying how he parents and what he chooses to do with his kids is none of our business. All right, that's my that's my position. Like it really doesn't like he could be a bad debt. Like it could be an awful situation, but it's none of our business. Well, it's public record. I mean, whether, there, I don't whether see, or not it's I, our business for is, in, is, is a personal decision. No, no. What's in the public record right now is really nothing about how he treats his kids. We have There's nothing in the public record that indicates what kind of father he is. Right. We, we have that video clip that has been selectively chosen by them, but we have no idea if his kid would be like that regardless. I right. mean, if Alex Jones was on the radio or not, his kid would still be raised like that. His, Alex Jones would probably still believe these things. Well, well, that's the thing, right? We, there's only, we, don't, we don't know what we don't know. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I feel like, okay, I want to play out the rest of this. His lawyer said they're unable to speak because of a gag order in the case. Meanwhile, Cliff Kincaid, a director of the right-wing watchdog group Accuracy in Media, told CBS this morning, Jones is not and never has been a conservative. Gail? All right, Anna, thanks. Very interesting story. He lost and hurt a lot of people with his claims about Newtown, saying mm-hmm. that that may not have happened. You think about the pain of the families. Yeah. Just hearing him say it has a lot of holes is very hard to hear. There's one mm-hmm. thing about Alex Jones continues. is he has not lost very much audience. He's been he's been doing just just fine. Um, one more bit of so this has been a full spectrum. I, I really I think what I don't I think the point I'm trying to make here is that none of it matters. If he gets his kids, if he doesn't have his kids, if he's a good father, if he's not a good father, none of that is any of our business. What is obvious to me is a sustained, full frontal attack on his character. Welcome back, everybody. John Baptiste and Stay Human right there. So your buddy, Stephen Colbert, uh, Chase, can you remind me uh, just because, you know, sometimes like I get I get a little over ironied and uh, I, I just I forget things. But can you remind me, how did Stephen Colbert become famous and well known? Oh well, he was he had his own show on Comedy Central for a long time, uh-huh. uh, the Colbert Report, uh-huh. and, and before that he was a uh-huh. quote unquote correspondent for the Daily Show. Yeah, and one of the I, that's right. I remember the Colbert Report had the Eagle. You know, yeah. in fact, in fact, we have the Eagle. I love that. I love that. Yeah, you know, and one of the things that was great about Stephen Colbert is he could portray a character and get a message across. Right. Huh. His there character was an ultra-conservative guy. Right. Yeah. So to me, there's some sort of irony for Stephen, Stephen Colbert for going after Alex Jones after claiming to play a character. I just find that to be a certain bit of hypocrisy, perhaps. About InfoWars founder and customer making the waitress cry, Alex Jones. The insane radio host is in a custody battle right now, and so he's trying to prove that he's stable enough to care for children. Unfortunately for him... He works uh, in front of a camera. I'm a pioneer. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, there's plenty of Alex Jones clips on YouTube you can go find. I just find the whole thing to be sick. I find it sick. Like, you know, you drudge out people's personal business and you use them to take them down. And now in one week, they've gotten rid of Bill O'Reilly and they've severely damaged Alex Jones's credibility. I think Bill O'Reilly got rid of himself. Well, I think Bill O'Reilly, I think... Bill O'Reilly, with his behavior, would have gotten rid of himself back when he was still on inside, uh, whatever it was. Right. Or I mean, like, that's what gets me is these guys. Uh, it's not like it's not like Bill Cosby just started raping women like he it was like allegedly it, it was decades long. Right? right. It's decades of misbehavior. It's five women who came forward and reported years of misbehavior. Right. And it all got sat on. It all got suppressed. It all got buried. It all got paid off until somebody decided, well, we're not doing that anymore. And something flips, and then it's character assassination time. And 
there's just different pressures in place to, 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 to seems to be to demand when it happens. And it's, it's amazing to watch the media jump all over it. Every news outlet's reporting all the drama as if it's national importance news. Right. Alex Jones' custody case and Bill O'Reilly, like, it's like national news. I think part of the reason why that they jumped on and they, and they talked about it was really more of this bigger general battle in regards to fake news, uh, you know, misdirected news. Yeah, it's statements. like, look at the main fake news guy. He's a liar, everybody. Well, well and, and, you know, we, we've played many clips on this show of Trump on Alex Jones and talking with him. And so when you're when you're looking at the mainstream media and they're saying, well, look, this guy allegedly what he's saying now is saying, well, no, I'm not really saying those things. It's just a performance. Sure, I say they're going to cover it just because of that fact, because they're so inept to try to get back on top and to try to say, hey, we're trying to be, quote unquote, honest. You know, The hypocrisy, like all of those reporters are playing a character. Like Wolf Blitzer is a character. I just wish they were they were always consistent with it. You know, if you're going to play that game and be honest and be true, stick with it no matter who's in the freaking White House. I, You know, stick with it. Don't play favorites and be true. That's, that's all I'm asking. Yeah, uh, I, I find I, I actually would be, you know, the entire radio industry is built around like having a DJ persona with a fake name and an on-air persona. That's like, right. How's it going? Right. Like, have you Let's ever skip here? Have you ever heard any national news broadcast where you don't have some news reporter talking like this into the microphone because he's reading the headlines? I mean, they're all playing a character on the radio. That's why people like podcasts, because it's more real human beings. That's Just, the problem yeah. with radio and television, is they're all a bunch of actors. Yeah. Yeah. And they, but, boy, it's funny to watch them just swarm. Just swarm. Just swarm. Woo! All right, let's talk a little North Korea, because this is a huge story. A little huge story, and then we'll get to the sack. Um, North Korea is heating up, and I, I really I haven't paid it a lot of attention. I've been watching it, but... I don't find it to be as alarming as everybody else does. It seems to me every time, and I don't know, Chase, maybe you've noticed this, every time we've got a new president, every single time we've got a new president, North Korea makes a ton of noise. And actually, North Korea has been making tons of noise now for at least the past decade. Yeah, that's what I thought, too. Yeah. Like I it's, mean, and, and, and it's gone in waves. Yes, it it yeah. goes in waves. And, and you it, got different, you know, now you got the new guy. You got, yeah. you know, the fat, the fat kid in the corner, as McCain <laughs> calls him. Um, but if you listen to the actual people in the government and, and not the media... I don't think they're that freaked out about it. Here's Trump's national security advisor. On the table, it was a message repeated by President Trump's national security advisor, H.R. McMaster. This latest missile test is just fits into a pattern of provocative and destabilizing and threatening behavior on the, on the part of the North Korean regime. And I think there's an international consensus now, including, including uh, the Chinese and the Chinese leadership, that this is a situation that just can't continue. What is clear, as long as, as long as their behavior continues, as long as they continue uh, missile development, even though this was a failed missile, uh, they get better and they learn lessons. And no, I think that is true. And I think that is why there is a slight situation difference here is every time they do this, they do get slightly better. The rhetoric does get slightly more serious. And eventually something's got to change. And it seems like with the unhinging of the military – Now's the time for that thing to change. They've, the chains have been let off the dog, and the dog doesn't like somebody barking at them. So I think it's very likely that this is going to be much more serious than it has in the past. Uh, in fact, uh, everybody's lovable tough guy, your good buddy. My friend. Mike Pence was looking real tough Tonight, on the border. Tonight, Vice President Mike Pence has a warning for By Kim Jong-un. Let me ask a question to you. 
When you heard about Mike Pence heading over to Korea. To the DMZ. To the DMZ, okay. <laughs> Which, by the way, I swear, probably every vice president has done over yep. the past, like, 25 years. Oh, yeah. But when I... I felt weird about this story because all the major news outlets are playing this right now is why are we so focused on Pence? I just don't remember us being as focused. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm completely wrong. But like when Biden did a trip like this, I I just felt like it wasn't as big of a deal. Is it because it's Pence? It just feels Um, like, why are we, or is it just my imagination. I could be dead wrong. It's because it no. It's I'll tell. Let's hear what. Warning for Kim Jong Un: Do not test President Trump. Pointing to American cruise missiles fired against the Syrian regime and the mother of all bombs dropped on ISIS as proof of American resolve. President Trump has made it clear that the patience of the United States and our allies in this region has run out. So he's talking tough. He's, right. ta- he's, he's, well, Mike, he's wearing the bomber jacket. Yeah, he's Mike Pence wearing the bomber jacket, and he's got this look, right? So he's got this like tough guy, like uh, frowny look that he can give. So they took him out to the— This is making his first trip to the region. So they took him out to the DMZ. So there he is looking tough again. Look at that face. And he's staring across the DMZ. Yeah. Visiting the most heavily fortified border in the world, the demilitarized zone. That now this is the shot they always get. Divides the two Koreans. Pence looking towards the north, emphasizing what the U.S. Look at that stupid, stupid, stupid point and stare pose for the cameras. It's so pathetic. I don't mean to overstate it, but that is, Chase, you've Every you've worked. Every politician does this. I know, and you've worked God. in media production. You know that this is a staged thing. They yeah. have the cameras set up. Oh, so so nor- so they're over there. That's the north. Oh, so that direction over there. Let me point at this here. Let me, let me, uh, I, I have some So friends. that's where we might bomb? So let me let me tell you a couple things. Um, I have uh, some friends of mine who are Korean. I'm actually married to a Korean. Um, when you go to the DMZ, there are some very specific rules that they tell you that they don't want you to do. You know what one of those things are, Chris? Point. They don't want you pointing at the DMZ because they 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 don't want. You're any, kidding me. I'm I'm dead serious. They don't even want you. Like when you go to the DMZ, like they have tours and stuff, and you can actually walk into that UN building, that third building there, and there there is actually a table there and everything. Uh, they don't want you pointing at the guards. They don't want you pointing at the shacks. They don't want you pointing anywhere. There's so, Mike so, Pence so pointing. This is totally staged. This is totally crazy. That's what I'm trying to say. It drives me so so. Cr- so it's there. Yeah, like, on the south side, you're it's right. It's Pence yeah. down there saying we're tough. We're down here. We're being tough. Uh, and here we go. Under President Trump. The United States will continue to work with Japan and with all our allies in the region, including South Korea, to confront the most ominous threat posing this region of the world. Talking real tough now. The most ominous threat. The most ominous. They're going to work together. He's with the Japanese people. They're going to work together for the most ominous threat. Ominous threat. Uh, And so, you know, recently we had that Moab. They call it the mother of all bombs, leaving 36 terrorists dead at least. My next guest says it's like we turned on the lights after eight years in Afghanistan and found cockroaches everywhere. You know, Chris, this you know, is beautiful. By the way, this is beautiful. Oh my God, this is just gorgeous. I just want to just put that it's out. Beautiful, it's beautiful, really. Yeah. Uh, he just called the people that we incinerated and crushed cockroaches. That's what that man just did. <sighs> Those are human beings that we, we incinerated. Yeah. And he's calling them cockroaches. It's everywhere. And joining us Wait, now, let me go back a little bit further. It's just, it's, 
All right, they call it the mother of all bombs, leaving 36 terrorists dead at least. My next guest says it's like we turned on the lights after eight years in Afghanistan and found cockroaches everywhere. It's still, he's repeating it, and it's disgusting. It's, the media is so in with any military action. It's, it's cockroaches. These are literally human beings. They are mothers, fathers, daughters, sons. Like, these are humans. Well, Chris, 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 you know, I, I'm, uh, you know, I'm here on the panel, and, you know, what you're saying here is, is, is absolutely unfounded. I mean, you gotta realize these are terrorists, Chris. These are, they, in ISIL, they're in ISIS, they're in AQAB, they're everywhere. Okay. Yeah, that's true. Come on! I wonder if uh, I wonder if that uh, Moab. Team um, America. I wonder if that Moab is going to come into consideration with, with negotiations with. Uh, and what Korea. about the father of all bombs? Really, <laughs> Russia says they have one. Oh, they do. Yeah, that's what they say. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, speaking of terrorists, we got to talk about this uh, really quick. This terrorist thing could be these terrorists chase. This could be real Terror? bad. Yeah. Well, you know, what do you do when uh, you got to spin things up? But all your funding, all your authorization, all your war powers. Hinge on fighting Al Qaeda. What do you do? You got to merge. You got to merge. A dangerous terrorist alliance in the works, apparently, in the Middle East, according to the vice president of Iraq. Okay, so this vice president of Iraq, by the way, common source of really big claims. This is his thing. So apparently, the VP of Iraq has super tight ties with all the terrorist networks, and so whenever there's a really big pronouncement happening, like uh, we find about we find out about it from the vice president of Iraq. Kind of an interesting thing. I don't know why that is. So this whole story that's being reported on all of the news networks that ISIS and Al-Qaeda, the database, are coming together is all from the vice president of Iraq. Representatives of ISIS and Al-Qaeda are meeting to discuss an alliance of some sort. David Lee Miller is following this story from our Jerusalem bureau. David? Jenna? Iraq's vice president, Ayad Alawi, says he got word about a possible merging of these two groups from what he described as his contacts in Iraq and in the region. He did not release any further information about the... Just trust me. You know, I, I, got, I got these buddies that kill people, and they tell me things. They tell me what's going on. So this kind of merger, I mean, I mean, usually when you have a merger, you have one taking over the name. You got stock options. I mean, I, I, I don't know how they're going to deal with this. Supposedly, they're holding meetings. Yeah, ah, the different okay. groups, the different leaders. Are of these the, meetings are being held over Telegram? Uh, they're, well, they're just, I think the CIA uses like a WebEx or something like that. I mean, uh, uh, but the good news is those tools are already out there, <laughs> and they can design apps to get around this stuff. Maybe so. after, maybe after they drop Moab on ISIS, they're like, well, we got to team up. We can't, we can't take this. We can't take this. This Moab thing, I want to talk about this, actually. Let's talk a little more about it. All right. Fox News alert, a big development in the war on terror. The U.S. military dropping its largest non-nuclear bomb in Afghanistan. It comes just days after an American soldier, a Green Beret, was killed fighting ISIS. Connor Powell is live. He was just in Afghanistan and is talking to his sources there. What are you hearing, Connor? So we're here to similar from Afghans what we're also hearing from the Pentagon, which was that around 7 o'clock local time, a massive explosion over the Nangarhar region province. Of the- All right, let's stop right here. So this is, uh, you don't probably see the map very often. This black line right here, that's Pakistan on the other side. This 
Afghanistan is this is like the far, 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 far edge of Afghanistan. So like, you're turning to the left of the black line. Everything, everything, everything. All the action in Afghanistan is actually kind of off the map here. It's over off the left, completely off the map. Right. Uh, if you look at that little mini map there, you can see their little yellow, tiny speck in the corner is where this was at. It's oh, okay. yeah. So right. the, the real action in Afghanistan is right much above the over. S in Afghanistan. This is way the hell up in the mountains. This is way the hell at nowhere. Nothing up here. This is like out of the way, way up there. You can go look out on Google Maps. Uh, anyways, this is a really fascinating story. I don't, I don't think what we're being. I think, I think there's a. I think you and I have already landed on what actually happened, and we haven't realized yet. We'll get there. In Afghanistan, uh, took place. Uh, the U.S. Pentagon uh, a statement saying earlier that th- this was a Moab, a massive ordnance air burst. It's the largest uh, bomb, as you pointed out, that's non-nuclear. It's the first time that we know of that the U.S. has used this in combat operations. That's kind of an important note. Keep that in mind. Uh, in Afghanistan, or really anywhere around the world, the target, according to the Pentagon and to Afghans on the ground there, uh, was an ISIS bunker facility up in the mountains. There obviously is a huge concern about civilian casualties. Isn't it interesting that they called it an ISIS bunker? Isn't that interesting? An ISIS bunker up in the mountains. When the WikiLeaks files show that it was the CIA that what? dug those tunnels. Those were CIA-created tunnels. Here's here. I got a little bacon for you, Chase. You ready for this stuff? Now, this bacon isn't cheap. It, it's, it's from Costco. Yeah, so you Costco in, in Texas. Yeah, oh, yeah, buddy. Yeah. yeah, buddy. Brought it back up just for this occasion because um, Moab happened while I was on the road. Yeah, so we enough, had, yeah. yeah. I, funny thing about this, just a couple of things strike me as interesting. Um, the timing, right when it was basically becoming, it was being reported on by uh, news outlets outside the U.S. Which so the way news sometimes breaks in Syria is it gets reported on like in the U.K. or it gets reported on in Germany. And then if it's a strong enough story, there's translations and then it's reported on within a day or two in the U.S. And so what's beginning – what was beginning to happen is several people were coming out saying this chemical attack uh, at best was probably something that the rebels were working on that got spread around accidentally by Assad and at worst was actually done by the rebels themselves. This was becoming more and more of a common narrative and then boom, Moab gets dropped. Right. And it happens to get dropped on a spot that the military is very familiar with because the CIA are the very sons of bitches that dug these tunnels to Ooh. begin with. So we either have two possibilities. ISIS was hanging out in CIA tunnels, which how the hell does that happen? Like do we just go dig a bunch of tunnels for some reason to hide stuff up in the mountains and now, then – Now to be fair, Chris, we've done weird things like you know build tunnels and just leave them vacant or you know just leave equipment behind like you know, white Toyota pickup trucks. So, sure. So it does sure. – that is – Drop ammunition accidentally. There's a precedent for it. Uh, so we either we either we either created a sophisticated network of tunnels to smuggle supplies and then didn't properly watch it, and then ISIS took it over, or we created a safe high haven for ISIS intentionally, and we knew exactly either way we knew exactly where to drop a bomb that had never been tested in the live before. And wouldn't it be great, right when you need a distraction about the situation in Syria, which was a military action, oh, yeah. wouldn't it be great to take another military action that finally tests that damn bomb, destroys the tunnels that the military, or in this case the CIA, created themselves and probably were being used by ISIS. It's a guaranteed hit where they know there's not going to be civilians because the only sons of bitches in there are the ISIS terrorists that they let in there. So they know it's a win-win there, too. Yeah. And it probably cleans up some guys that they're trying to clean up anyways from the whole situation in Syria. It really felt that way to me right when it happened. I was just like... Damn, why do they need more distractions? And it happens to send a nice message to North Korea just in case they weren't – it wasn't clear that we were willing to blow some stuff up. Yeah. 
Now, the other thing that's interesting about this Moab bomb is that it was put in early January. It was moved to Afghanistan, which would have been when Obama was still in office. I find that also to be interesting. Mm. So they had this over there since early January and just were waiting for an opportunity to use it. You know, you got a big toy. You want to well, use it. Well, to be fair, Chris, you know, you don't want to have all 20 of your bombs in one place. You know, you want to <laughs> spread them out all over the globe. So it makes sense. Yeah. I wonder. I, it all seems very, very convenient. Uh, we have the links about the tunnels being dug out by the CIA in the show notes if you'd like to read more about that. Um, and there's also a lot of there's a lot of news reports about ISIS flowing is the is the is the meme flowing back into Afghanistan. That's another uh, meme that's being picked up a lot. Like ISIS is fleeing Syria and joining all these other places like Iraq and whatnot, making the situation much much worse. And uh, that's now becoming a common meme, which fits right in with our authorization for the president's war powers, which just turns out it's such a convenient thing. <laughs> Time. That's right, you guys. Chris is back from Texas. Thanks for writing in. Really appreciate it. By the way, as of the recording right now, two spots are open in Club 33. Really? So if you want access to my sack and you hear it right now, check because you might have a spot. And swag. And swag. Don't forget, we have stuff coming out. And by the way, we'll be at Linux Fest Northwest coming up next month. So. Please come out and say hello. Wow, yeah, go grab those slot, those Club 33 slots. Yes. Veratuna wrote in and says, hey, well, it's hard not to be a little shocked and surprised this week with Miss Theresa May calling for a general election, which, mm. by the way, will happen. Snap. It, it, uh, Parliament approved. Snap. And by the way, Veratuna, I do follow. Uh, on June 8th, where it, well, while the Brexit is going on, kind of depressing, really, because I really don't like any of our politicians, <laughs> and the next two months are going to be backbiting like you would not believe, feeling somewhat subdued at the moment. Veratuna, I want to reply to you and say, while you may be feeling terrible that the next two months, as an American, we've been going through this for, uh, I'm, uh, what, 37, 37 years, Chris, because we're in constant re-election mode over here. Uh, at least over there, you have a chance to wipe the slate and start over. That's one thing I do envy. If you want to be a part of the sack, head over to patreon.com slash unfiltered. Join Club 33 today. Not only you get to be a part of my sack, but you get an automatic subscription to our unfiltered swag. And there's other levels there, including levels that get you access to all of our clips. Yes. And when we can, when YouTube allows, we have the full live stream posted for free at patreon.com slash unfiltered. Yeah, buddy. Okay, Mr. Chase. Yes, Chris. Mm. We got some high note stuff that's going to be a little rough to hear. Uh oh! Did you hear about DHS Chief John Kelly? No. Yeah, he's taking a hard the D eight the head of DHS, which is such a bullshit bullshit government agency. The Man. Department of Homeland Security. Oh, but it was it was Bush's big jobs program, and it it's now just this. It's going to be a noose I, around our generation. Did you neck. read that their official slogan slogan is "Never waste a disaster"? <laughs> sorry, sorry. <laughs> That's good. I, I believe it. The I, yeah. never waste a disaster. Oh, Somebody make that. <laughs> man, yeah, man. And 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 TSA, ah, don't bother. All right, so here's uh, John Kelly taking a hard stance on marijuana. John? Let me be clear about marijuana. <sighs> Stop with these, let me be clear. I know. Stop it, all of you. I know, and it's it's getting to a point where I get angry because the opioid epidemic is is so so bad. It is terrible. It is it is one of the worst things wow, happening right now. Wow, wow, Chase, and it is it's 
it yeah. is it's one of these things where like uh middle class America just ignores it because it doesn't affect them and then if you get a chance to see it it's it's like it shakes your faith in humanity and our legal system and there is very 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 sound research that's showing more and more that cannabis use and CBD use and edibles can be a fan 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 fucking tastic way to roll back opioid use and so when we have this devastating epidemic and there is a plant that grows as a weed that people can buy on the corner and we're still throwing them in jail there is something fundamentally wrong with our humanity is a potentially dangerous gateway drug that frequently used leads to the use of harder drugs no no, what? the pills that the doctors are giving people are gateway drugs. The pills that are in kids' parents' cabinets are the gateway drug. In fact, there has been research that shows the opposite of that. Alcohol is more of a gateway drug. This whole mentality, you know what's a gateway drug? Oxygen, water, <laughs> food. It's all a gateway drug. It's how the human brain works. This is, this is an intellectually unsound argument. Additionally, science tells us it is not only psychologically addictive, but can have profound negative impacts on the still-developing minds of teens and people up into their mid-20s. Oh, well, if science tells us, if wow. science tells us that. I, and, you well, know what else? Oh, he's going to cite the sources, right, Chris? Sure, of course, because yeah, yeah. he said science. Yeah. Uh, I think science also tells us that opioid addiction uh, destroys families, and throwing people in jail over marijuana use destroys families and ruins kids' lives. I bet losing a mom or a dad and throwing them in jail because they sold a bag of marijuana or because they had yeah. too many joints in their pocket, yeah. I bet that also damages children's development. Yeah. Beyond that, however, its use and possession is against federal law, and until the law is changed by the United States Congress, we in DHS, along with the rest of the federal government, are sworn to uphold all the laws that are on the books. There you wait, go. That's wait, basically wait. All it. laws? All the laws. I mean, every law. Even, even the said. ones that the politicians uh, break? That's those laws, said. too? That's what he said. Well, hey, I'm, be, I'm on that. So Patrick Kennedy is uh, one of the leading uh, anti-marijuana activists on the left right now. And uh, there he says a key word in here, and I'm curious to see if you can pick it up. I think it actually explains his motivation because after he says it, he really devolves into a ramble. But I think he slips the real reason why he's anti-cannabis. And this is, uh, by the way, um, I, don't, I don't know if I have the study linked in the show notes or not. I may have it linked in the show notes. This interview is in the context of a new report that just came out. I don't know if you saw this this week Mm -mm. that said that American families are fine with pot and that a lot of American families smoke pot around their significant others. And like that's like a a common thing. They're like they're not a lot of them are sure about it with children. You, You know, people don't know about children using it, but a lot of them are okay with children using it for medical reason. Like a big survey was just conducted. And this interview with Patrick Kennedy is conducted after news of this of the survey has come out. That's Former Rhode Island Congressman Patrick Kennedy is the founder of Smart Approaches to Marijuana, or Project SAM, a campaign to keep marijuana illegal and educate the public about the truth of the drug. And- <laughs> that sounds like a winning position. That sounds like something. That, that guy seems very happy. Talk about, talk about you know, <laughs> trying to sell rain in Washington. I mean... <laughs> Wow. New the Yahoo Marist poll, it shows that m- most Americans now think that marijuana should be more exception, uh, accepted and normalized in society. Why do you disagree with that? Well, I'm proud to have been the author of the Mental Health Parity and Addiction Equity Act. Ah, so the first thing he does is a book plug. You're uh, not no, winning. No, and it's an act. No, he's oh, an author of an act. And okay, sorry. Here's my the bad. thing. is right, this. I th- listen, listen to what he says here. I think he... 
when he this act that he created, it's kind of like Obamacare, how it's like guaranteed revenue for the insurance companies. Something in this act is like guaranteed revenue for the insurance companies. But the problem is, is if you get a bunch of people on cannabis, the deal goes sour. So listen carefully to his words, because I think he gives it all away when he tries to explain why weed is bad. I'm proud to have been the author of the Mental Health Parity and Addiction Equity Act, which means that the insurance industry now has to pay for addiction and mental illness coverage in a way they never were required to prior to that. Oh, God. Wow. So you got the pharmaceuticals against it. You got the beer companies against it. You That's got the cigarette companies against it. it. You got the insurance so companies wait, so against it. So wait a minute. He's just a lobbyist. Yeah. Oh, my God. Of the Mental Health Parity and Addiction Equity Act, which means that the insurance industry now has to pay for addiction and mental illness coverage in a way they never were required to prior to that. And they don't, you know, they don't know about this. They, they don't, they're not so sure about this. We're trying to enforce this law across the country. And it seems to me like there's an elephant in the room because while we're trying to get improved mental health care, while we're trying to address the opiate crisis in this country. You know, and okay, here he goes. He's doing, he's talking about mental health care. He's talking about opioid addiction. When we have athletes who say that their bodies repair better when they use cannabis to treat their injuries, when we have soldiers who are coming back with trauma from war who say that they can treat their woes better with cannabis or CBD oil, when you have people who are in studies that can come off of opioids by cannabis use and CBD oil, all of this across this large spectrum mental health, physical health, opioid addiction. There is studies that show improvements, but somehow this sick, bought and paid for son of a bitch can twist all of this into trying to claim he's helping them. It's sick. And it seems to me like there's an elephant in the room because while we're trying to get improved mental health care, while we're trying to address the opiate crisis in this country, while we're trying to uh, address the suicide rate in this country. We have this legalization effort, which has profound consequences on the public health of our country. And it was incongruent for me to be pushing better mental health for our nation's citizens on the one hand, and to be ignoring this new phenomenon, which is the march towards the new big no. uh, tobacco. It's I, the new. Everybody knows that what helps mental health in this country is breaking up families, throwing minorities in jail, not allowing people to have jurisdiction over what they put in their own body, cramming pills down them. All of these things are what improve mental health. Not the not the dangerous marijuana that that can lead to complete collapse. What you reading over there? You found something well, interesting, I, you know. So I'm, I I decided to, to Google them real quick and, and and check them out. And by the way, preventing another big tobacco that's an official tagline of theirs. But one of the things that I kind of picked up briefly in scanning this, he's just dropping in talking points as he goes. Yeah, he, what well, a lobbyist. Yeah, but but not only that, but one thing that kind of peeked out at me as he mentioned, um, not he, but they mentioned on the website here is that they want to uh, research into the potential medical use of compounds derived from, from marijuana. This is becoming a common thing, synthesized marijuana that you can measure and control, which 
the, the thing is, is uh, what seems to be one of the common things about uh, CBD and THC and cannabis in general is it's the process of growing and, and all of the things that happen to the structure of the chemicals in that that give it its complete effectancy. When you short circuit that and go directly to the end result, which you do with synthetic cannabis and synthetic THC, you do not have the same benefits. What's that? What? What? It's, their site's like not even complete. Look at the bottom of the page. Oh, it just has filler language it's in there. T- filler language. Yeah, like the Latin stuff for yeah. like, yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, you know, do what Who I Who registered that domain? Can you look uh, that yeah, up? Yeah, I'll Ooh. look that up. I wonder, because it seems to me like, you know, there's a, lot, there's a lot of people out there that are starting to get together against weed. The marijuana industry has a lot of enemies. The tobacco industry wants cannabis out of the way because it hurts their profits. The private prison industry even lobbies against legalizing marijuana because it would reduce the number of prisoners they receive each year. Even billionaire casino magnate Sheldon Adelson has donated millions to fight legalization efforts across the country. But one of the biggest enemies that the medical marijuana community is facing today is Big Pharma. The drug industry is terrified of medical marijuana because of what cannabis is able to do for patients. In 2012, the study by the American Medical Association of over 5,000 young adults found that occasional marijuana users actually performed better on lung tests than non-smokers and cigarette smokers. Studies from the early 2000s have shown that cannabis can reduce the occurrence of epileptic seizures and seizures from a very serious condition known as Dravet syndrome. It can relieve pain and reduce dependence on opioid killers, painkillers. It can help slow the progression of Alzheimer's. It's been shown to be a possible treatment for veterans with PTSD. Oh, I see. So, so, so this is all. This is so. Who's Kevin? So Kevin Sabat is working with Patrick Kennedy. Is that who this is? Uh, yeah, working with Patrick Kennedy. Correct. Yeah. yeah, and he's uh, so he's the guy that's against reefer sanity. Uh, yeah, seven great myths about marijuana. Ah, so a known. Yeah, okay. Boy, boy, isn't that it's a guy who's got books and all that kind of stuff? Yeah. Look at Patrick Kennedy go. Lots of people assembling yeah. against it. I think the private prisons one's the most disgusting one. Oh, obviously, yeah. that's the grossest. And then, of course, the pharmaceutical company one is probably the, one of the ones with the most power. I find it interesting though that he he registered this site uh, and didn't use like a privacy fil- you know one of those privacy. Filters. Yeah, we who is it during that last clip, and, and you can just see everything in there. And this has been uh, been hitting hard since 2012, which is when it was. Uh, Registered. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. On GoDaddy. I wonder if it is if it, if it really though if it's just pissing into the wind because it seems like once our hat legalizes things, it's sort of just going to be a domino effect. Some quick headlines for you. People could soon be allowed to light up in Canada. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau introducing a bill to legalize marijuana. He's hoping to have it take effect by next year. There you go. There you go on cannabis day. And uh, <laughs> just don't, don't call it cannabis day. Just yeah. don't call it. Cannabis Actually, they're day. trying to bump it up so yeah, it should. doesn't happen. That otherwise, way. I'm going to call it cannabis day. That's I what's going to happen. I, I, all Canadians would. But it seems like once the old Trudeau there lets everybody light up, uh, how are ca- guys like Patrick Kennedy going to be? There's no way. Especially but when you have survey I, after I, survey I've coming made out the saying prediction, and I will stick to it. Once it is in the books up there. The dominoes will start to fall. And once more and more research comes out about people spinning off of opioids using cannabis, it feels like that is going to just just that is going to be the crowbar that opens the door for medical marijuana everywhere. Like oh, yeah. That's going to be a huge once the 
once the public understands that that's a reality, I got to imagine that's going to change pretty quickly. I, I think what you'll see is, is eventually, once it becomes fully legal and you see the pharmaceutical companies get into it officially, I mean, like really officially, what they'll do is they'll they'll create new concoctions that will contain cannabis and something else. And they'll well, they'll say some- we have to have scientific measurement. You know, doctors, we can't just uh, prescribe a plant. We need to prescribe an exact dosage that, uh, that manages your exact situation and something that we can measure and have control over. And a plant, when you smoke it, how can we measure that? So we have to have synthetic marijuana to take it seriously. And it's just a matter of science. Well, if they measure it in the same way that I measure my beer, I guess. I mean, <laughs> that's fine. Yeah, buddy. I agree. <laughs> that's fine. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of this week's broadcast. Now, your unfiltered show's live. In we fact, are. we should probably also say your unfiltered show, not necessarily over yet. No, the overtime's overtime. coming up, and there's yeah. some good stuff in there. Stay tuned. If you didn't hear a story covered, it might be in there. But if you're going to check out, if you're done getting the headlines and everything you need, then I encourage you to participate with us online. Reach out. You can find me. I am twitter.com slash chrislas. What about you, Mr. Nunes? Are you online? I I am on Twitter. I am Twitter verified. (laughs) (laughs) Twitter.com slash Nunes, N-U-N-E-S. And by the way, if you're... uh, Thanks, Devin, for that. Thank you, Devin. If you... uh, By the way, if you're a gamer and you love gaming, check out my Twitch channel. uh, Twitch channel. I can't speak today. Twitch.tv slash GeekGamerTV. Chris, by the way... You're going to be posting, I know, Yeah, some I have more content. vlog stuff coming. Where's that going? YouTube.com slash Chris Fisher. I'm kind of working on a name change, too. Might be coming in the near future. Final Linux action show at Linux Fest coming soon. Mr. Chase and I will be there, too. So uh, if you're going to be out at Linux yes. Fest, you can come say hi to Mr. Chase and myself. We'd love to see you. Unfilter.reddit.com is where you go to participate in some of the news stories you think we should talk about. Maybe submit a clip there you'd like to see covered in the show. If somebody posts something crazy online, and we'd always we'd always appreciate your participation in the conversation. Oh, also follow the network at Jupiter a Signal to follow uh, to get news announcements and things like that. And don't forget about that uh, slot two two slots available. Actually, I have some uh, breaking news. Oh, really? Chris. Uh, oh, really? One of those slots were filled. Oh my gosh! And uh, I think it, it, we've gotten such a big demand that as of right now, the site is down. Patreon.com is wow, down. Wow, you're not kidding. That's I'm actually, not kidding. <laughs> wow, unfilter everybody. Thanks yeah, for buddy. thanks for being here. We hope you enjoyed the show and stick around for the overtime coming up coming up a little bit. And if you don't, well, don't worry. We'll see you right back here next, next week. week. news tells you unfilter's not over yet oh no some say it's just beginning because it's time for the overtime brought to you by patreon.com slash unfilter it's good to be back with you in full capacity this week the overtime's back and I got some thinking to do Thank you to Annie Moss. Thank you to Jordan, Kenneth, Zach, Danielle, Chris, Alexander, Allie, 
the sandwich maker, James, Nick, Michael, and Tim, our new patrons since the last overtime at patreon.com slash unfilter. This is dedicated to you guys, all our supporters over at patreon.com slash unfilter. Featuring the new Ronald Jenkins album today. Go check that out, my buddy Ronald Jenkins. Hey, Let's start with old Nancy. I love me some old Nancy. <laughs> oh, and you know, Nancy, you remember she's from California. Like, we don't talk about that very often. But uh, Democratic Party leader Nancy Pelosi. The real, uh, you know, like if, if you had an iceberg, you know, they say the tip of the iceberg of the establishment. That's Nancy Pelosi. She's the tip of the iceberg, guys. And she does have domestic and by domestic, I mean back home in California issues that she's got to be responsible and take care of and have opinions on. So they got this real problem in San Francisco with the bridge, the Golden Gate Bridge down there. It's a magnet for suicides. People love killing themselves on this thing. Now, I'm not even being facetious. Like, legitimately, people love killing themselves on this thing. And it's a big, big problem. And so they're finally going to put up some nets on the San Francisco Bridge. And so Nancy Pelosi was asked about it. And Nancy Pelosi, it, she, she makes it clear, guys. It's not a social economic problem. It's not a class issue that's causing these people to kill themselves. It's not that it's the worst for the middle class that it's been in my entire lifetime. That's not why these people are killing themselves. It's just a damn fine bridge. The world, but it's a beautiful wonder. Uh, nonetheless, uh, it, it then got that aura of people uh, being attracted to it. And uh, when we first heard about how we could prevent that, it was a number of years ago. It would have cost a lot less, but there were... Uh, I like this. I like the idea that yeah, we knew this was a problem. In fact, we knew about it years ago and could have solved it uh, years ago for a lot less. But you know, it's challenges and challenges are hard. And you know, it's just it's just citizens killing themselves. You see, the bridge motivates people. The bridge is what motivates people to kill themselves. That's that's the problem. It's the bridge. Now, that was uh, not great optics for Nancy where she's sort of stumbling, stumbling around talking about a very sensitive issue, especially one that's a hot button in San Francisco. You, you know, we talk about it sort of in jest, but down there it's a, it's a big deal. But those optics aren't nearly as bad as Tom Perez, the uh, the DNC leader, when he was on live television and literally the symbol of our democracy was falling down around him. Well, again, that's a question for him. I, I didn't ask either Senator uh, Secretary Clinton or Senator Sanders. Uh, now, if you, as you're sitting here, if you're watching, um, just watch over his, uh, I guess it's our right, his right, our right shoulder of him. 
Uh, if you're listening, you'll hear it happen, and it's it's a symbol of what's wrong with the Democratic Party. About what they were going to do with their list, simply because that's a decision for them to make, and uh, we do have the list from uh, Secretary Clinton. And what we're doing with sec- <laughs> yes, that was the flag falling down behind him, the American flag falling to the ground, uh, and you could hear in the background the host snickering. Because that's a decision for them to make. And uh, we do have the list from uh, Secretary Clinton. And what we're doing with Secretary with uh, Senator Sanders is we've been going around the country and today's our first. There you go. And he just goes on to talk about how hard he's working with Sanders, how hard. Uh, now, there was this big tax march and uh, Maxine Water was was there. In fact, she's got a chant for us. And it's a good one. I kind of like it. It's kind of catchy. I don't respect this president. I don't trust this president. No. He's not working in the best interests of the American people. No, it's Russia. He's working his for Russia. His motives and his actions are contemptible. Ooh. And I will fight every day until he is impeached. Oh, oh, there it is. There it is. Tough words. Maxine Waters. Woo. Impeach 45. Yeah, say it again. Impeach 45. Say it again. That's right. Say it again. Now I'm not I'm not a linguistics, but uh, it, tell, it seems to me that she is calling for the impeachment of Donald Trump. In fact, she even tweeted as much. I have not called for impeachment. You, what, 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 what? you said uh, I'm going to fight I, every day until he's impeached. That's, that's what you've said, and you've said that in speeches. You've said that on Twitter. Did you tweet it? Yeah, but here's what I've said. Oh, here we go. greatest desire is to lead him right into impeachment in order to do the impeachment because as for me i think it leads to impeachment and i believe that and that's what i'm paying attention to and of course this president impeachment uh, i don't think you can do the impeachment just because i think and i do think uh, that impeachment will be necessary until of course impeachment is taking place and i'm going to fight every day until he's impeached. Talk about impeachment. I'm ready to talk about it. And the criteria, the higher crimes and misdemeanors, and I maintain that's where impeachment comes in. We have a president of the United States who does not deserve to be president. I have no intentions of sitting down with him. I'm going to fight him every inch of the way. I have not called for the impeachment yet. (laughs) He's doing it himself. You guys heard me play all of these. You've heard me play all of these. All of these. We've played all of these on the show. But no, nah, she's she is. No, nah, what she say again? What was it that she said at the beginning of the clip? I, what was it again? I'm sorry, Maxine. What was that? I have not called for impeachment. Oh, <laughs> I'm sorry. I must have misunderstood. My bad. That's uh, that's totally on me. That's totally, totally on me. And, you know, of course, Donald Trump is hiding something, according to Maxine. I'm joined now by Congresswoman Maxine Waters, Democrat from California, ranking member of the House Financial Services Committee, who spoke at the tax mark in Washington on Saturday. And Congresswoman, uh, it's a little unclear what the White House is saying, but basically they're saying the audit still pertains. And so the same reasoning applies. What's your response? Well, of course, nobody believes that. Uh, this president is hiding something. Here we go. That's what we believe. We want to know more about him. What does he own? What kind of debt does he have? Mm. How much debt has he been carrying over for how many years? Many of us uh, believe that he 
pays no taxes and maybe haven't paid any for 10 or 12 years. And so— well, well, Now, wait a minute. We just had the Rachel Meadow taxes. We just had that. Well, I don't know who he think he's fooling or whether or not he just totally disrespects all Americans and particularly <laughs> those who voted for him by continuing to tell this lie. I love it. I love it. She is. She's not stopping. She is like a dog with a bone and she's going for it, too. And she's getting some serious uh, notice for it. I mean, people are taking notice for sure. Uh, you got to though. You do have to notice that. Uh, she, I, I, of course, I don't play all of the clips. I have more in here. But uh, the Democrats recently, especially the establishment Democrats, have really been calling a lot more for war. In fact, when Trump started dropping bombs in uh, or I'm sorry, launching missiles in Syria and dropping and dropping bombs in Afghanistan, let's be technically correct here. It was met with pretty considerable praise on the left. In fact, hours before the missile strike in Syria, Hillary Clinton had given a speech where she had called for basically very aggressive action just like that. So we don't really have an anti-war party, do we? <laughs> we don't even. No, we don't. Not unless Sanders gets control of the Democrats. We don't have an anti-war party. We have the right, which is all in on military and spending more. And now we have the left, which is not only all in on military, but also all in with the intelligence agencies, all good with the CIA, good with the CIA, love the CIA. CIA, CIA is the source of truth for the Democrats now. So what are we supposed to do for those of us that are stuck in the middle? Well, good evening and welcome to Tucker Carlson tonight. Somehow, despite Donald Trump being an alleged Russian puppet, the American tensions with Russia keep rising. Huh. Yesterday, Russian officials said relations were at their lowest point since the Cold War. Today, President Trump has set aside his old skepticism toward NATO. And Secretary of State Rex Tillerson had an unproductive meeting, apparently, with Vladimir Putin in Moscow. Right now, we're not getting along with Russia at all. We may be at an all-time low in terms of uh, relationship with Russia. This is super convenient for the coverage I've been getting recently. It couldn't have turned out better. We need to attempt to put it's an end to this steady degradation, which is doing nothing to restore the trust between our two countries or to make progress on the issues of the greatest importance to both of us. I've got oil to sell. Al Mater is a Democratic strategist and former member of Hillary for America, the National Finance Committee. He says yeah. there's still plenty of warning signs that the Trump administration is too cozy with Russia. Yeah, here we go. Now. Yeah. Al, thanks all for coming on. Great to be here. So you heard the going. president say the relationship is bad right now. And you heard the Russians say the very same. You saw the prime minister of Russia, Mr. Medvedev, say that we're as close to war as we've, as we've been in a, in a long time. Do you believe any of this, or is this just part of the conspiracy? I actually do. <laughs> I actually found today's developments, on the one hand, discouraging, but also heartening, right? Wow. Because you see our administration speaking with one voice about Russia, and in a way that many Democrats were afraid they never would, which is to say that Russia interfered in our elections, Russia is an adversary of the United States, and you have Ambassador Haley, Secretary Tillerson, and even President Trump saying the right thing. So in that sense, it's encouraging. So you're happy that we're moving toward a war. So I guess that's that <laughs> the question. That's what you just said. And clearly Democrats are happy. <laughs> that was good. All right. That was a good. That was Mr. Haley. Secretary Tillerson, and even President Trump saying the right thing. So in that sense, it's encouraging. So you're happy that we're moving toward a war. So I guess that, that raises the question. Well, that's what you just said. And clearly Democrats are happy. That is what he just said. About it. They want a confrontation with Russia. and I They do want. I mean, this whole thing about they're poking the bear. They're poking a bear who has nukes. I guess the question is why? When did the Democratic Party become the war party? Of course, we're not happy we're moving oh, toward love war. My point is that I'm happy. Oh, there it is. There it is. Of course, we're not happy we're moving toward war. My no, 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 no. We just want us to be tough with Russia. 
about it. They want a confrontation with Russia. And I guess the question is why? When did the Democratic Party become the war party? Of course we're not happy we're moving toward war. My point is that I'm happy that this administration is taking Russia seriously. And Secretary Tillerson sent the right signals today in his meeting uh, with the foreign minister. But again, the prime minister of Russia said that U.S.-American relations, and I'm quoting now, are ruined and we're on the brink of armed conflict. That's bad. Why would that be heartening to you? It's heartening in the sense that I believe during the campaign and thereafter, this president hasn't taken Russia seriously. And he has said through multiple occasions things that cause us to question whether he puts the United States' interests first. Today we saw that this administration seems to be doing that. That's what's heartening to me. It's just strange to me, having watched politics for so long, to see the Democrats so avidly pushing for a conflict with Russia. And I'm just confused. This is the new liberal position that because the people who run the country don't respect human rights sufficiently or they put propaganda into the American system. Yeah that we need to be in conflict with them. Is that the core of this or is something else going on? I'm, I'm honestly confused. attacking of the messenger in the chat room and i can understand <clears throat> especially if you consider yourself one of one of those that does buy into the narrative that russia hacked the election that russia is a big threat if you buy into that narrative it's getting really shaky right now and it's you're kind of grasping at straws so you kind of have to start going character assassination so i understand it's kind of unfortunate that's the direction it goes but i suppose if there wasn't all this crap talk between the U.S. and Russia right now about how bad relations were. And if we weren't dropping missiles in Syria and bombs in Afghanistan and bombers weren't buzzing Alaska, the whole Trump's a Russian spy narrative, or at least a useful fool, would be a lot stronger right now, wouldn't it? So here we are with people that are still buying into that narrative now grasping onto character assassination, which is unfortunate. Because I think as much as, as, much as I remember Cucker Tuckerson on Crossfire, getting his balls handed to him by Jon Stewart. And this is why everybody hates Cucker now. I mean, this is really where it started. Does everybody realize that Cucker was a tool when Jon Stewart came onto his own show and handed him his own balls? I remember that too. I mean, we all remember that. But the fact of the matter is, he's pointing out a very, very ripe irony that the left has completely shifted their position on Russia. And they are now the pro-conflict with Russia and pro-intelligence agency. They're the, they are they are pro-conspiracy theory. They're the biggest proponents of the Russia hack narrative, which initiated, which originated from the Hillary Clinton campaign. <laughs> it's, a, it's a really shitty spot for them. Like, that's bad. Whew. And then, and then to get your ass handed in all those elections at the same time, yeah, I guess I'd, I'd probably be back up against the wall myself if I was in their position. Especially if you've bought into the establishment wing. It's not all roses for the Trump side either. Like, Sean Spicer is the guy that's not getting a break. 
people are still hammering him about his Holocaust centers and his his bad, poor choice of words and remarks he made recently. Uh, he was at an interview with Gretchen. Remember Gretchen from Fox? Well, she now works at MSNBC. I would tell you, everything's all changing. It's all changing. Gretchen works at MSNBC. She was doing a panel talking to Spicy. Good morning, everyone. Sean, good morning. Good morning. So, Sean, let's start with yesterday. (laughs) Um, The Holocaust situation question. Um, Your thoughts today? Uh, I made a mistake. Uh, There's no other way. I mean, there's no other way to say it. I got into a topic that I shouldn't have, and uh, and I screwed up. I mean, you, uh, you know, and I hope people understand that that we all make mistakes. Um, I hope I show that, uh, that I, I understand that I did that and that, uh, uh, that I, won't, I saw people's forgiveness because I, I screwed up. And, um, you know, and I hope each person can understand that, that uh, part of uh, existing is understanding that when you do something wrong, if you own up to it, uh, you do it. You, you, you let people know. Um, and I did. So uh, for me, I mean, obviously there's two takeaways. One is uh, it's a very holy week um, for both the Jewish people and the Christian people, and this is not to, to make a gaffe and a mistake uh, like this is inexcusable. And- I think he got his ass chewed out by Trump. I think that guy's on the ropes. I get the impression that Sean is wound up right now. Now, I, I, I could be wrong. Well, I, don't, I have no evidence. But watch his answer. So this is a common question he gets. Is hey, Sean, what do you think of the uh, Melissa McCarthy impressions on SNL of you? This is CNN's uh, White House guy. And they're at the uh, Easter Roll event on Monday. And so uh, Sean's out there yucking it up with the press, as is his job. And, of course, the CNN guy, well, I think he, I think he asks... I think you asked the question that touches a nerve. Happy birthday. I, I, hey, appreciate it. We're almost the same age. Uh, and what about... I'm younger. Can I ask you in a quick two-shot? A quick t- uh, can I ask you in a quick two-shot here? Uh, a little, little lingo. <laughs> what do you think about when you see Melissa McCarthy doing these skits? You- oh, you had to ask. I'm usually long and I'm fast asleep by the time that comes on. Typical government answer. Oh, I haven't read that report. No, I haven't seen that in the, on TV. You and me both. Uh, so I, not only are we have the same uh-huh. age... We'd probably go to bed around the same time. So That's kind of hot. Look at them flirting right there. You see that? I'm in bed. Get off, go to church the next day, and look ahead. Oh, what a good man. You hear that? <laughs> Sean. Sean, that's your best work yet. You're not even behind the podium. So I, not only are we have the same age, we'd probably go to bed around the same time. So I'm in bed. Get off, go to church the next day, and look ahead. But you, you have fun with it, right? I mean, you I enjoy look, it. I, I, my focus is on you didn't say yes. advancing the president's agenda and his policies. And, uh, you know, we live in a, a great world that people can say and do what they want <laughs> because of the First Amendment. And that's what makes it such a great country. Oh, I mean, man. I get made fun of, too. I mean, it happens all the time. I, well, you know, maybe more <laughs> deserved. <laughs> ah. The Easter Bunny tie, is there, is there a message there? Just yeah. So he's kind of awkward about the whole thing. I don't, think, I don't think he likes it. And I think it's not because he doesn't find it funny. I think it's because it's 
portraying an image that the Trump administration doesn't want put out there in the public. And so Trump is riding his ass to get it changed. That would be my guess. Uh, one of Trump's other surrogates out there had an interesting little sit down and chat. Um, I, you know, I think the, this administration has characterized the media in uh, more negatively than any I can I can remember. And yet. I kind of think this administration talks to the media more than any other administration. Um, so now he means unofficially, but he's making an interesting point because he's watched this stuff for a long time. And he's saying, look, for an, what is the core point here? And I think it's an interesting one to think and ponder for an administration that is outwardly so hostile to the media, calling them the opposition party. And we all remember Spicy Sean's early press conference where he came in and berated the media about the crowd size at inauguration. They've been very hostile outwardly towards the media. And yet they leak more than any administration that I've ever witnessed. So it's a really weird duality relationship. How, how, do, you, how do you balance this, this, um, this negative view of the administration uh, from, of the media and yet this, this eagerness to talk to it by everybody. Everybody talks, whether you call it leaking or just talking. I mean, they talk. The it is very well, accessible. I, one thing I have noticed that if you're somebody who says, I never talk to the media, you're really free to talk to the media as much as you want because nobody would suspect you're talking to the media. I think she has somebody in mind when she says that. I don't know. I just get the impression. And that's an, if, you, if you're one of, these, one of these politicians who claims, I never talk to the media, you're likely the person talking to the media is what she's saying. Um, which is fascinating. Uh, but... On this issue, I would just say this. Do you actually think he's covered fairly and objectively? Do I think? I, I think not at all. I think it's, I think, uh, you know, democracy dies in darkness. I re- that right there is an interesting statement. Democracy dies in darkness. Now, what CNN would tell you is, well, we're hitting the president hard because we are the fourth of state. We're trying to bring light to what this secretive administration is doing. I disagree. See, I think they get so caught up on if Trump put his, heart, his hand over his heart uh, they get so caught up on all these little nuanced things or all of these fake stories like Russia that they're not actually covering what is what seems to me a massive tonal shift in policy and in, and in, and in, and in, in, in what it seems to be an untethering of the military industrial complex to do whatever the fuck they want, wherever the fuck they want. And that to me is a massive story. We're not talking about that. We're celebrating that. We're celebrating those 59 missiles. We're celebrating the mother of all bombs. The beautiful. It's beautiful. It's beautiful, guys. Brian Williams says it's beautiful. But that's the real story. 50 plus billion dollar increase in the military industrial complex's already unbelievably huge budget. That's a story. Not talking about that, though. We're not talking. So democracy does die in darkness. And the thing is, is the media right now could claim and you could make the argument that they're over they're overexposing on Trump. They're overexposing on Trump. It's too much Trump. It's Trump all the time. There, there's no darkness here, but they're not covering the right stories. And I think that's what he's trying to get at here. On this issue, I would just say this. Do you actually think he's covered fairly and objectively? Do I think? I, I think not at all. I think it's. I think uh, you know, democracy dies in darkness. Every time I look at this, I think, oh my God. Um, um, no, from from my point of view, as as someone who's who literally writes about this, I think that this were in a in totally uncharted territory. Um, um, but having said that, 
this administration is more media crazy than any I've ever, I've ever, um, ever watched. Um, I mean, you talk to the media all the time. You want coverage all of the time. Um, you're, um, you, you, um, you hurt when the coverage is bad. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm. Yeah. I agree. He doesn't make a point at the end, so I cut him off. But I agree. There does seem to be an emerging, I don't know if I want to call it doctrine, the media is going to call it doctrine, an emerging set of expectations from the Trump administration. And Donald Trump gets to cover it up as saying, I don't, I don't ever forecast my moves. I don't tell you what I'm about to do. I get to be mysterious. doesn't know what's about to happen. What if when the military drops Moab, Trump didn't even know it was coming? What if he doesn't forecast his moves because he doesn't know what they are? Tonight, President Donald Trump's emerging doctrine, show strength. We have incredible military. Less than 100 days into his presidency, Mr. Trump has authorized headline-making military offensives in five different countries. This is part of the Trump doctrine. Use military force around the world in selective cases to send a signal to the whole world. I don't know if this sends a message. Uh, it doesn't make any difference if it does or not. North Korea is a problem. The problem will be taken care of. Mr. Trump campaigned as a hawkish pro-military candidate, promising to vanquish ISIS. Their days are numbered. You're going to knock them out. I won't tell them where and I won't tell them how. And as president, his foreign policy successes so far outweigh his domestic agenda. His foreign policy successes just stated as a fact, and this is on NBC News. Foreign policy successes, what would those be? Not the, not the relationship with Russia. It would be the dropping of missiles on a Syrian airbase and Moab on some CIA tunnels out in the mountains. That's his foreign policy move so far. Total success, everybody. Total, total success. Promising to vanquish ISIS. Their days are numbered. I won't tell them where... And I won't tell them how. And as president, his foreign policy successes so far outweigh his domestic agenda. This is how they cast darkness right here. There has been zero discussion about the five countries that Trump has been active in since he's been president. There's been zero conversation about the fact that none of these are very conclusively tied to Al-Qaeda, that they just make this rough term, that they make, they make this rough association so that way they can use the existing authorization that was created for Bush. There's no discussion about any of that. It's, it's, the conversation's not even had. It's just we start with the premise that that's a good thing and it's a success. And then we, conf- then we continue forward. By never having the conversation, they rob the public of that opportunity. 
And it's not accidental. Foreign policy successes so far outweigh his domestic agenda, which has been on the rocks from health care to the travel ban. If it also distracts from some of the problems he's had in domestic policy, I don't think the White House minds that one bit. Now tonight, one of the biggest crisis points, Syria, is testing the president once again. In an interview with AFP, recorded on government cameras, President Bashar al-Assad denies he's behind the chemical weapons attack that prompted U.S. military strikes. They fabricated the whole story in order to have a pretext for the attack. An- What's weird about all of this is it's getting praise from both the right and the left, from even the most extreme positions on the left and on the right. It's so great to have Richard Haas with us today, uh, because other than talking about barbecue, I want to talk about yesterday. (laughs) Before we came on on the air, we were talking about whiplash. But if if these policy shifts yesterday were whiplash, our neck was over here, and now it's upright, whether it was on NATO, an embrace of NATO. Just absolute. Uh, I mean, Tillerson was tough as nails, according to William Cohen. They have no idea. Tillerson sat around for half the day waiting to have his moment. And we have no idea what they talked about for two hours. They probably talked about oil. And they come out and say, well, we talk tough. That's always what they say. And uh, Ambassador McFall and a lot of other Trump critics uh, had, a, had a good, tough meeting uh, with Putin and uh, with the foreign minister there. China, uh, normalcy in that Chinese relationship. He's not calling them currency manipulators anymore. Where we're actually lined up where we can work with them as a partner on North Korea. A lot of shifts yesterday, but I can't think of one shift that actually went in the wrong direction. This This is all the things that he said over the past two years that have scared us. That we've been freaking out about nonstop. And now this shift. Maybe it's a day shift, but it's quite a shift. I mean, more foreign policy happened in a day that back at, what, the Congress of Vienna would happen in a year. A lot of stuff happened yesterday. You're right. It was all in the positive direction. China not being a currency manipulator. The, the NATO having a, a continuing important uh, role, fairly blunt talk with the, uh, the Russians. So this was, uh, you know, whether this is, as Mika, I think Mika teed it up exactly right, whether this was t- yesterday's shift and today we'll bring you something else or tomorrow something else. And the only thing wrong with that is the mere fact that you could have such seismic shifts in and of itself is a little yeah. bit unnerving. But still, you're right. These are shifts going in the right direction. We'd have a very different conversation if the shifts had gone the opposite way. We're only... We're only looking at trend lines, and they are it's a brief trend line. But there is no doubt, Willie, that Donald Trump is finally doing what we've been hoping and America <laughs> has been hoping he would do. Uh-huh. And, and yeah. that is work with the very able people that he appointed. I, I can't even I'm not even going to try to parse that last sentence that Joe attempted to put together. But what I find uh, remarkable about this is the shift in tone from the left and the right. Uh, Lindsey Graham even gave brief praise to Trump recently. This whole Russia thing is uh, calming way the F down now. This is all looking a lot better for Trump. They're giving him his attaboy here. 
They're giving him his attaboy. He he played ball, and they're giving it to him. Or something else. And the only thing wrong with that is the mere fact that you could have such seismic shifts in and of itself is a little yeah. bit unnerving. But still, you're right. These are shifts going in the right direction. We'd have- These are shifts going in the right direction. These are shifts where the establishment wants him to go. He's not going to pull out of NATO because that's our uh, big card against Russia. He's uh, going to keep bombing countries. We want. We like that. He's talking tough to Russia. We like that. Of course, the, of course, the left likes that. They love that. Love loves that. Uh, we got to talk about something else because I don't want to be grumpy. Let's talk about something that I think would be really great because uh, my fiance Hadia has uh, diabetes. She's had it since she was seven years old and uh, I watch her all the time. She constantly has to check her blood sugar, make sure everything is okay. And I've, I've always, always, always wished there was some piece of technology that could make this a little easier. For half of her life, Erin Bates has relentlessly pricked her fingers at least 10 times a day to check her glucose levels. The thing is, is even when I'm not checking my blood sugar, I'm thinking in the back of my head always, where am I at? Like many with diabetes, she dreams of an easier solution. Turns out so does the company that created the iPhone. Citing multiple sources, CNBC reports five years ago, Apple started building a secret team hoping to develop sensors that can check those levels non-invasively and continuously. They're trying to track blood sugar without actually ever piercing the skin and taking blood. The sensors could be used with wearable devices like the Apple Watch. To have something like that while I'm working or while I'm on the go would be incredible. Still, such game-changing technology is likely years away. I think out of all of the wearable manufacturers, I think I'd like it to be Apple um, because having some experience with the Apple Watch, I don't, I don't have one, uh, but I did for a while uh, for testing. And one of the things that I noted about it is almost to a fault, the data is local on the device. Um, and this is all great and, and well um, until you have multiple iPhones or internet, internet phone devices, whatever, iPads or whatever. Uh, the data can't sync across them. So unlike Google Fit, you don't have access to your data. There's no cloud syncing of your health data. Um, and also, if you lose your phone, destroy your phone, or set up a new phone and just simply don't restore from a backup, you lose all your data because it's all stored on the phone and it's encrypted. Uh, but the, the flip side of that is it's all locally stored on the phone and it's encrypted. So uh, I like their implementation from a privacy standpoint. I uh, think it's – it's uh, Sounds very interesting. It sounds like early testing has shown to be pretty good. It's an optical sensor too, which would be incredible. It would. I mean, this would be. This would change. There's so many. I, I believe it's one in ten Americans. Something crazy like that. Something extremely high like that right now have diabetes of some form, either uh, later onset in life or uh, or uh, or from early on. Uh, it's a, it's a huge huge number, and so this would change the lives of a lot of people. Like that, while I'm working or while I'm on the go, would be. Incredible. Still, such game-changing technology is likely years away. Help us understand just how difficult this task is. The sensor has to emit a light, has to go through the skin, into the bloodstream, find that sugar molecule, out through the skin again, back through the sensor. More than 29 million Americans have diabetes, and a new study finds among young people the disease has risen dramatically over a 10-year period, an almost 2% annual increase for type 1 diabetes and close to 5% for type 2. I actually think even if you don't have diabetes, though, it's fascinating to just keep track of your own blood sugar levels because I've done a little experimentation since Hadia has the equipment uh, and I was able to try it. And it's in, you know, you can, you can, you will find if you watch it for a while, it really affects your energy level, your focus ability, all these kinds of things that you may, you might take for granted, especially say you have like something really sweet in the morning, like a Pop-Tart or a bowl of cereal. 
uh, or you know, an energy drink like was what used to be really common for me is a sugary energy drink. And you can you can literally watch your blood sugar go up and down and bounce all around, and you can see, wow, I'm feeling ex- I'm feeling ravenous right now. I'm so hungry. Oh, look where my blood sugar's at. This is fascinating. I- anyways, so there's other. It's good data, even if you're not a diabetic. I think this would actually make wearables a real category. Having owned several watches, and none, none of them were like a must-have item on me. In fact, for for the most part, I just find them to be distraction machines because they're constantly telling me about notifications that I don't really need at that exact moment. And so if I could have a real true health benefit to it, I'd probably be more inclined to pick one up again. When I give you a finger prick to check your blood sugar, does it hurt or do you not even feel it anymore? Sometimes it hurts. Just six years old, Oscar Flieger checks his blood every two hours and would love a perforation vacation. Less pricks is great. As long as, you know... You can be confident that it's representing the correct blood sugar. Yeah, it, that's the thing. Is they're really going to have to test? I mean, you know they are already, but then they're going to have to get FDA approval. People are going to be still, you're still going to want to be checking against something else. And they do have continuous monitors that can dispense insulin. But uh, I think there's some people out there that don't find those to be adequate for various reasons. this next one let's go back in time a little bit i one of the things that was just before my time so i don't think i was able to appreciate it is george w bush bush senior back in the hospital right now very 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 fascinating history and i wonder if this man were to pass away if maybe some of it would start to come out more so than already has um george w bush was a front man for the cia back around the kennedy years uh he he ran an oil company on behalf of the CIA. Kind of an incredible story. He worked his way through. George W. Bush worked his way up, uh, or J.J. George H. Bush Sr. worked his way up through the CIA to eventually become the head of the CIA before he was elected president. Think about that. The head of the CIA was the president for a while. Just a fascinating history. Uh, he was in Texas the day that uh, Kennedy was shot but he doesn't recall it, but there's pictures of him. It's all just fascinating history. I wonder if we'll see more, but uh, if we jump in the uh, Wayback Machine here, if, if you'll allow me, we're going to go back to 1988 with Ron Paul, a young Ron Paul, talking about George Bush. It's not a very long clip, but it's awfully fascinating. Let's talk about what could be the most explosive issue of this campaign. By the the way, this was when uh, Bush Sr. was running for president. If the mass media would get a hold of it and do something about it, but they're covering it up. And that is, you you were talking about the government involvement in drugs. There have been government investigations, there have been private investigations, and we've interviewed a lot of people, ex-CIA people, who have talked about the CIA involvement in drug operations for many decades. It's public knowledge, though once again the media are not saying anything about it, that Oliver North and his people involved with the the Contras have been running drug operations 
cocaine primarily, bringing it back into the United States. And there are other uh, investigations which show that George Bush's office, Donald Gregg particularly, and the people he was working with, have been uh, supervising an enormous drug operation, which once again was bringing, sending uh, illegal arms or down to uh, the Contras and elsewhere, and bringing cocaine and other types of drugs back into the United States. But neither the Democrats aren't talking about this now. Are the libertarians talking about this, and do they put this into the framework of the drug law situation that you're talking about? Uh, we talk about a whole lot. Of course, we always have the trouble of getting the attention that we think it deserves. There have been a few Democrats have talked about it. Senator Kerry's office has Kerry, done some work. He's done on a lot it. of the investigation. Right, and uh, I think he's on to something, and I think we've gotten some other information, too, of course, that uh, George or the CIA has given Noriega over the years $200,000 a year. Oh, yes. And uh, they kept feeding him money, even when uh, Bush was the head of the CIA. I think uh, George Bush is uh, deep into it, well over his head. Somebody asked me once of, uh, if I thought George Bush knew about as much what was going on as, as Ronald Reagan. I think George Bush knew a lot more about what was happening in the CIA, because I think uh, Reagan was probably more removed from it, I mean, just by his own personality and maybe his age or something. Uh, but I think George Bush, through his office and through, and through the fact that he was a member of this, you know, head of the CIA, I think he was very, very close to it. He knows exactly what was happening. And I believe the rule that once a CIA member, always a CIA member. And I think it's awful interesting. Can you imagine it would alarm a few of us in this country if all of a sudden we knew that the leader in the Soviet Union would be the head KGB agent. And here we take our head CIA agent and put him, you know, potentially the head of our entire country. Unfortunately, I wish that we could get this information out, uh, and I continue to talk about it, but I sadly believe that there will be very little said, which means that the Democrat aren't doing it. That means they're involved. Too. They're involved also. And uh, I don't think there's any doubt about it. I mean, it was uh, even some of it got reported in the Iran-Contra scandals. We did know that there were uh, drugs being drugs involved and, and they were selling uh, drugs back and forth. I think that might be the number one reason uh, for the drug laws. I mean, they use and play on the good people of America to support them. But I think the number one reason is not, not to have high prices for some uh, two-bit drug drug dealer as much as to raise the funds necessary to for governments to do illegal things, whether oh. it's some terrorist government someplace or whether it's our own CIA to fund programs that they can't get Congress to fund. Uh, I think it's tragic, and uh, the sooner we get rid of the drug laws, uh, the sooner this would end. Nineteen eighty-eight, and uh, things haven't changed. Things have not changed a single bit. I bet your feel-good story to wrap us up. It came time to build Bismarck's newest high school. This one came with all the technological bells and whistles. Each student given their own laptop. Type in pi over two. The only problem: no IT department to fix it all. What? Even for staff, there's no IT department to turn to. Oh no! I mean, well, we have the IT department, but it's the kids who are who are IT department. No, 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 um, no, no. no, no. Yeah, everybody use them. The first few times you're nervous you're going to break something, and then you just kind of learn what's going on. And 
Jacob Langerud heads Legacy High School's Tech Club. He and 37 other students volunteer to fix the school's technology. Projector shuts off, does stops working, teacher will stop class saying, hey, I know you're in the tech club. Can you come fix this real quick? Mm-hmm. So Just like when I was in school. The students teaching the teachers. Mm-hmm. You teach me English, I'll teach you how to fix your computer. The club is constantly evolving based on student interests. Its advisor says the skills learned aren't just high tech, but real life. How to troubleshoot an issue from start to finish, how to own a problem from start to finish. Although that growth mindset is really important in in the kids. Jacob had planned on going into diesel mechanics after high school. His new career plan? Computer science. This is much bigger than just fixing each other's computers. It's... It it gets people, I think it really does help build a sense of community for our schools. Before he graduates this year, he's passing on his knowledge to the younger kids in Tech Club. I love it. I love it. It reminds me of when I was in school. I love it. I love it. You guys keep it up. You keep it up. You keep it up. You guys out there keep it up, too. Tune in next week. Keep it up. Keep supporting us at patreon.com slash unfilter. I hope you enjoyed the overtime. (laughs) I did. I did. Don't forget you can join us live at jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar for live times in your local time zone. See you next week.